everybody, and welcome back to Point of Origin, episode 51, the podcast where, before Star-Lord, we meet Flash Gordon. I mean, Eris Bach. <laughs> That's another one of those instances of uh, us watching this separately, and then discovering a day later that we had the same exact joke in our notes. And this time you got to make it. Last time I made the Cyberpunk 2077 right, joke, right. so this time you got to make the Star-Lord joke. Mostly because you recognize Flash Gordon and I did Fucking not. Flash Gordon. Okay, it's it's funny. I've actually seen this episode quite a few times. I love this episode. And yet I've never put it really together, I guess. <laughs> this guy and Richard Dean Anderson have the kind of uh, pacing banter that I think they wanted for uh, the Black Hole episode between Jack and his past uh, dude. No, I, I would agree with that because... Let's let's be completely honest here. Not that they did a bad job in, in Matter of Time, but there is just an insane level of chemistry between these two on screen. Oh, so well because they're both amazing in this episode. <laughs> I know. I think they I was took in all love. of the. Uh, I think they took all of the talent. <laughs> yeah. Not, not to say. Okay. Here's the thing. All of SG One continue to be phenomenal in this episode. They they they've never had a weak day yet in these shows. But boy, oh boy, their one other <laughs> guest star in this episode. It's SG-1 and two guest stars, and one of them had all the talent. Yeah, no, I uh, I would never want to actually hurt someone's feelings here, but dude, dude, no, you are not a good actor, I'm sorry. He somehow managed to both overact and speak in a monotone at right? the same time. I, I, I was which impressed. Which I guess is a talent in of itself. <laughs> yes, right? Because I was impressed by his level of dedication to overacting every single syllable that he said. His costumery and makeup was good, though. Yeah, but that you know, just proves that everything that he had control over was the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it just wasn't as a good priority for, like, the casting people for this episode because he's only in it for a small portion and he's not the point so much as the plot device. But still, I, uh, I, mm, no. Yeah. I, I, I floated the possibility that maybe they had to, like, quickly replace him. <laughs> so, yeah, he does feel kind of like someone's younger brother who's been yeah, given the role. Yeah, just, like, some, like, a second camera technician or something. Like, someone just who works on the crew which sometimes with people like Peter Deloise, it's fine. They can handle it, you know? But sometimes it's like, oh, no. No, you cannot. <laughs> Weirdly enough, out of all of his bad acting, you'd think it would have been the part where he got stunned that would have been <laughs> the one that was the most egregious to me. But oh, in fact, was it was literally bad. just every time I heard Tokra, I kind Actually, sorry, let me rephrase that. Every time I heard Tokra, I wanted to die. Okay, but him being stunned was literally a cartoonish reaction. I expected to, like, see an outline of him behind <laughs> him afterwards. People listening can't see, but you just... <laughs> uh, good times. Uh, yeah, so, aside from him, <laughs> uh, he's really only the... He's act honestly kind of like the only real drain on, the, on this episode for me. He's the one weak spot in this episode. Yeah, it had to be one. Actually, it's a lie. Yeah. There's, a, there's a couple, mostly wrapped up in the characterization of the bounty hunter, because they only had an episode to work with. Yeah, exactly. Like, all the weak spots, it's like, you only had 40 minutes. Yeah, what are you gonna do? <laughs> and you had to have a complete about-face. Like, there's only so much you can do. Oh, that was a big sticking point for me, too, was the utter convenience of the... <laughs> The, the galaxy's greatest bounty hunter also happens to be the world's most, the uh, universe's most open 
bounty hunter because he is the <laughs> most he has a heart of gold a conscience and mm. likes to talk yep one of my big notes and caps here was uh this episode has entirely too much time dedicated to soulful conversations between strangers and i feel yeah. like the bounty hunter kind of embodies that oh yeah that's true that's definitely true i feel like that i i feel like part of that was they knew who they got for Eris Bach, and they're just like, Robert, you gotta put in a lot of, you gotta put in a lot of great banner scenes and just good dialogue exchanges between each other. Not even just Richard Dean Anderson and him, but like him and Amanda Tapping as well. Uh, but before we get into uh, that name, <laughs> or any of those names, uh, I'm Mel. So yeah, on that note, <laughs> and I'm Liz. And today we are covering season three. Episode 7, Dead Man Switch. Which, now I'm thinking about it, that's an like an interesting title. I, it's weird because it's not something that's actually said anywhere in the episode, but if you know enough about, like, the way equipment works, especially, like, like self-destruct kind of things, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> I see where you got the title from. It's just a little, you have to, you have to really, you, you have, have to, to reach for think it. about the episode. Yeah. It's not as immediately obvious. You yeah. have to think about it for a minute. Uh, but I've said, uh, mentioned his name a couple of times. This is one of our favorite writers for the show. Hell yeah. Robert C. Cooper. And uh, it shows because any, I've come to realize that if the Robert C. Cooper episode or apparently... Although we only have we only have one example for this so far, but from that one example, I'm making a guess. I think Heather Ash is also going to be one who just has a lot happen in their episodes. Yeah. To where I have to wind up taking a lot of notes. This one is one of uh, Robert C. Cooper's most bantery episodes ever. <laughs> I, I tried several times to stop taking notes just to remark on the banter but then i kept failing because it oh, was so I have, good i have so many like i had to keep pausing because i had to keep word for word writing down right? bits of the dialogue because it was so good i was like this is brad wright levels of banter oh yeah no i uh you could tell that everybody had fun with mm -hmm. not just the, the acting part but like the writing part because I, absolutely for, something that might have been you know more of the directing too but i just i don't know like for example like when Daniel runs into the force field, found something, and I just... Yes! <laughs> I love that delivery because, again, Michael Shanks does it with that perfect pitch of just, like, angry exasperation. Just, god damn it. <laughs> <laughs> just found something. He's just... <laughs> You're just waiting for him to, like, stomp his foot on the right. ground. <laughs> god. He manages to sound like an... An, an exhausted mom and a very temper tantrum child at the same time, and it's remarkable. Oh, yeah. No, the only difference between me and Daniel in that moment is that after doing that same thing, you know, wham into it, fucking found something, then I would have also, in the, you would have seen me in the background throwing a bad-tempered kick at it. And then probably getting, like, oh, was, thrown across the space as I get rebounded. I'm, I'm mad because I, I was literally, as you were talking about, I was thinking after doing that, I would probably angrily kick at it. <laughs> but wouldn't it be funny, too, if it turned out that that was, uh, like, one of those kind of barriers that kind of responds in kind. So if you kick it, all of a sudden, you just see something in the background just flying across the screen as they get anger kick it. I, I would accept it as a given. 
I do want to just uh, play a little game, quick oh. little game with you. Uh, I want I'd you like to, to gaze, based on uh, the patterns that we've had so far in this show, who do you think directed this episode if Robert C. Cooper wrote it? I don't like this game. It's one of the people we like. Well, I mean, like a lot of them. It's also the one who directed uh, Gamekeeper. Yeah, I have absolutely no idea who directed Gamekeeper. I can never remember. Martin Wood. Martin Wood seems to be the only one directing Robert C. Cooper's episodes. Really? Huh. Well, let's see if that trend continues then, because I guess we found our good power team. Yeah, they're a great combo, because uh, Robert C. Cooper is an amazing writer. Like like I said, you know, there's a lot of notes for this episode, because he always puts a lot in. Even when this is more of like an 80s action film episode, he still manages to put a lot into this episode. I, you know how like sometimes um, for movies or TV shows, they'll write a character with the express purpose of having a certain actor play yeah, him? Yeah, This feels like it was always Flash Gordon. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Especially with those uh, banter scenes between him and Richard Dean Anderson. Right? Now, I kept waiting for, like, uh, meta banter, where I'd all of a sudden <laughs> just be watching MacGyver and Flash Gordon. Right? It. Uh, it, was, it, was a tr- it was a it was an oddly meta episode. And, and I mean that in a good way, uh, yeah. with the odd, because it wasn't... I actually really appreciate subtle meta sometimes, where you're not entirely oh, I, sure where it was, but you know it was there. I'm <laughs> fond of cool. meta. Oh, I love meta. I usually yeah. like more overt. Ed- uh, I usually love more overt meta, where like somebody will say a straight up line that just makes you go. Yeah. Hey. Um, I don't like stupid meta, but I do like good meta. Uh, for example, yeah. uh, kind of like in Ragnarok when they had the third uh, freaking Hemsworth brother play. Yes. In the play. <laughs> yes. <laughs> On Asgard. Or the fact that they fucking had. Um... Uh, Matt Damon play Loki, right? Because he played Loki. Because in he played the, Loki in the Askew Universe. Dogma. Yeah, dogma, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Askew Universe. I love Dogma. So seeing Loki as Loki was truly excellent. Amazing. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I really, I usually really love overt meta, but every now and then subversive meta really gets me. And this one just yeah. felt kind of subversive meta. I don't know how. that makes you think about it. Yeah. And again, it's just more like the little tones of it than any, like, direct lines necessarily yeah, or something absolutely. like that. Mm-hmm. That being said, I actually wasn't a huge... I didn't watch all of Flash Gordon as a kid because my dad liked it, but I didn't watch as much because, again, I had limited hours of TV. Um, See, I didn't watch any Flash Gordon. Flash yeah. Gordon was not one of the things my dad watched. Oh, well, there you go. But yeah, the thing about it was that we... Um, I just don't know if there was any dialogue in here that might have been more meta that I just missed because I didn't yeah. watch enough Flash uh, yeah, Gordon. Yeah, we're unfortunately not the people who can spot that shit yeah maybe i would have uh, spotted a macgyver reference but that's about it the stuff oh yeah macgyver was something i watched i still just want to see jack build a plane out of duct tape oh god right yeah okay let's get to this episode because yeah, uh, there's a lot to talk about here but first let's read the official synopsis Ugh. when i say let's i mean i'll read the f- official synopsis <laughs> let's see if it's any good SG-1 is captured by Eris Bach, a bounty hunter chasing an evil gold named Keltar. He offers them freedom in exchange for their help. They agree, only to find that Keltar is in fact a Tok'ra, whose capture would endanger countless others. I feel like a better title for this would have been Bait and Switch. Yeah, it also, yeah. That's not a bad summary. It's actually not, It simplifies a lot of things, but But it's a summary. Yeah. Yeah. I've certainly seen much worse summaries. Dude, the one before this was garbage. Yeah. Uh, so let's get straight into the episode. There's a lot that happens here. 
We open up in the woods, like always. <laughs> oh, look, another forest planet. <laughs> and uh, we find out that the team are looking for a UAV that was shot down. Um, and Teal'c seems to think it was shot down by gold re- weaponry. I love how they real quick just yada yada over <laughs> that. They don't even mention why he thinks that like they they don't even bother to explain what led Tilk to declare that it must have been a gold like why did you get an energy pattern did you see a flash that resembled a specific weapon type right but while i'm able to kind of generally assume that it would be nice if they had bothered to even slightly listen (laughs) it has nothing to do with this episode they don't have time for it uh and there's a part where, uh, during their yada yada where Daniel's like, that's weird, because I haven't seen, like, any signs of gold civilization on this planet so far, and normally, obviously, they, you know, get control of the gate, and, you know, keep something near that so they could control, you know, entry and outry from this planet. At which point, they find the UAV, which they, uh, Teal'c confirms was indeed uh, shot down by a staff weapon. Which, I'm sorry, but for a thing that supposedly crashed, that off, it looks an awful lot like it was just placed gently on the ground by a set dresser, but whatever. I mean, it definitely was. <laughs> I just like how it looks very carefully placed on the ground. It wasn't really dressed as well as I think it could have They only had one model, alright? Uh, so here's the first moment of amazing line delivery uh, for this episode. Where they keep walking, like, trying to, like, get a look out of the area around it. And Daniel just walks face first, nose first, into an energy shield. And just with that perfect Michael Shanks level of... Found something. Childish exasperation. Just found something. <laughs> yeah, I, I do love how he's just not here for that. Oh, it's so good. There, Michael Shanks just has this pitch-perfect delivery of that particular emotion. I can't think of anyone else who delivers it quite the same way. <laughs> it's not delivered the same way, but I you'll you're going to love Eli so fucking I, much. I'm aware of that. Everything I've heard about Eli, I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely gonna like Eli, yep. and I'm being very good and refusing. YouTube has started trying to recommend me like clips on of like Eli meeting Jack, and I'm like, no, no. I'm not going to. You can't trick me into this. I'm going to ignore you. One thing I really love about Eli the most is, I, I remember when I was first hearing about the show, um, it, they were like describing like the character t- you know, traits of these characters. And yeah. Eli had just been described as acerbic and sardonic. I remember that to this day. Was I remember reading that exact phrase. Acerbic and sardonic. My and two I favorite went, things. And I went, oh, okay, so this is going to work. Because yeah. they, they didn't have anybody quite... Daniel-y enough in SGA, and I think that's one of one of the things that didn't hold up as much. <laughs> one of its weaknesses. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think they quite had enough of a linchpin in their team because of it. Like Shepard, kind of tried to be snarky, but he wasn't that snarky. He was also Shepherd the was O'Neill more Jack. Type. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He was meant to be a different type. But that's of O'Neill. because they were literally just trying to clone. Right, Jack. exactly. Yeah, and then they did a much better version of that for SGU because they kind of cloned him with uh, Colonel Young, but. They couldn't have McKay replace either Sam or Daniel because he'd already showed up in Stargate SG-1. He right. had a character. And, you know, he was already firmly embodying the whiny bitch role, too. Yeah, which was partly Daniel. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so I um, I think they really, I think they paid attention and fixed that for SGU because they kind of did an, an O'Neill type with Colonel Young. And then they did a bunch of other types. <laughs> and they didn't just have, like, a, a, a random Teal'c type. They actually uh-huh. kind of 
tried to use the ensemble a little more in That's SGU. Nice. And Eli really embodied the snark bitch. <laughs> the snark bitch. <laughs> but in a in a different way entirely because he's also much younger. He's a very different person than Daniel. He's not nearly as driven, for he's example. He's not jaded like Daniel. And he's not jaded, and he's also not driven. He, you know, he's the MIT slacker kind of guy. So he has the same level of intellect and everything, but none of that other follow-through. What I love is this is only season three, Daniel. This isn't even as jaded as this, this man gets. Yeah. But that's what I like about Eli, too, is that he's not jaded at all. So he just makes great comments constantly. <laughs> but yeah. Huh, okay, but yeah, so Daniel Daniel has a great delivery of found something, and it's amazing. He's amazing. We're getting the back. <laughs> this is his episode, okay? This is where he's laying his, he's, he's putting his foot down. He's like, this is who I am, and you will respect it. <laughs> it's great, because it's really, it's, it's paired very well with Jack, uh, with a lot of his lines. Like, at one point when he goes, and if we don't, which is like, <laughs> peak even better because you've also got the other 80s action star in here who also has to do a lot of interacting with Daniel where he's kind of where he seems to be like Jack has like the disgruntled whereas this guy seems to have like the like exasperated <laughs> like he keeps looking at, at, at Jack like are you gonna discipline him what's going on here <laughs> God, you just made it fucking over. Is this entire conversation just gonna be one long pee? <laughs> oh, okay. But yeah, so uh so Sam tries to um retreat and also runs into a shield and Jack decides that Ricochet isn't an issue. Like he does have a moment where he tells them all to duck down, and Sam's definitely worrying about Ricochet, because you see her, like, look up and, like, cover her head. You mean the physicist understands what might happen? <laughs> but Jack doesn't give a shit about Ricochet and just tells everyone to duck and then shoots his gun, like, in an arc over their head to discover that they are all in a, a dome of a shield. Although I will say, I think Martin Wood is a very good director, I think this shot is poorly framed because it looks like Teal'c is not in the shield. I was con- like, my note originally said that only the humans were in the shield. And then I realized at the end of this scene, no, Teal'c was supposedly in this shield as well. It just did not look like it. Yeah, it's a problem with the post-production shit. Yeah. So, yeah, that actually that would be a post-production, so I don't know if I can blame Martin Wood on that. Never mind. Okay. Good. Because I like Martin Wood. I don't want to blame him for that. One thing that SGA definitely did, I swear, as as not even tongue-in-cheek, but as just kind of like a cough, cough, as they stare at the screen and make eye contact <laughs> with the audience, because there's, I've been, told you about this before, it's like three episodes into SGA where they have, a, a, actually, I think it's literally the second episode, now that I'm thinking about it, mm -hmm. where Weir walks into a room just in time to see John push Rodney off a balcony. To test yeah, a personal shield. Yeah, and it's times. hysterical. But I'm realizing now, I bet that was because they were trying to make sure the audience knew that John actually understood the concept of shields because it's always a surprise to Jack. <laughs> and it's always a surprise that the shields might be like different than other shields he's seen in the past. He kind of behaves as if they're in all one type of shield. Listen, in Jack's defense in this episode, 
He's only seen one type of shield up till now. Uh, the planet where um, they had, because they, they've already introduced those, uh, the shields that they're going to use later to run through at super speed. Those resistance huh? ones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, be, it was brief, you know, but it was a different type of shield. It is a different type of shield. It's not the personal one, and, it, and it, there's nothing to say that it would respond the same way. And there's also nothing to say that he should be assuming shit. Wasn't there a part where Jack still used a knife on the, the old guy who was working for Hathor? Because that was the same shield. I swear to God, in that episode, yes, it wasn't a personal shield. It was a bigger one, but it still worked the same way. I swear to God, there was a part where he threw a knife through it. Uh, I mean, I I'm not going to say I just, like I, I, I don't remember that. But if that's the case, then eh. I still stand by what I'm saying, though. Shields are always a surprise to him. And then the yeah. fact that shield mechanics might differ is also always a surprise to him. <laughs> Listen, Liz, you can't treat... You can't teach an old dog new tricks. I can try. <laughs> Jack will resist you the whole way. So after they confirm they are all caught in a dome of energy, um, a man with a bulkier version of Jordy's visor walks out. Dude, Predator-inspired episode is cool, but knockoff Predator costume is less so. Yeah, oh, it's definitely, I feel like that was definitely what they were going for, but I, I thought of Jordy. Because <laughs> Jordy was one of my faves. Because LeVar Burton is one of, awesome. Yeah, LeVar Burton was awesome. I probably He was probably one of my faves because I was also watching Reading Rainbow. That's the thing, man, I didn't watch, I, I didn't even see, I hadn't even, I hadn't even heard of Reading Rainbow until like second grade. And one day my teacher's like, yeah, we're gonna watch a video in class. And then she and then puts you in, saw Jordy. and fucking Jordy comes on and starts talking about harmonicas. And I'm like, the fuck? And everyone's like, yeah, LeVar Burton. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. No, no, you guys beat me up two days ago for talking about Star Trek. Who the fuck are you why are you allowed to like lavar burton but i'm not what the fuck is this show what is happening that's uh i i was obviously i was watching star trek with my dad but i was watching uh reading rainbow and pbs stuff on my own that was the thing i watched on my own so uh i was watching both of them at the same time all right so um yeah predator ripoff geordie visor man comes out and tells them that their weapons won't get through the shield, but his will. And he proves that by shooting through the shield next to something next to Teal's head. <laughs> Teal, like, doesn't even flinch, just kind of turns and looks at where he yeah, got shot. Ju just once I want to see someone demonstrate the danger of their weapon kind of thing, and then have it backfire terribly, like shooting something next to Teal's head and having it explode and kill Teal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't want him to die, obviously. You know what I mean? But I'd love to see one of these plans backfire. Right. Because <laughs> it's... that. I'm but sorry, but this, the, you, you just exploded something. The, 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 the part about exploding always seems to ex escape people. Like, you know that you things explode been, like, out trapped, right? Yeah, exactly. That was like a rock he exploded exactly. it's or like, something. I'm sorry, but physics exists. Yeah. But, so, <laughs> this is where he, like, identifies himself uh, as Eris Bach, and he says... Perhaps you've heard of me. And literally everyone just kind of looks around at each other uh, and shrugs. Like, no, no, we, we, we don't know who you are. <laughs> and then he says that he's the galaxy's greatest hunter. And then in my notes I say, you know, Star-Lord. <laughs> yeah, mine was somewhat similar. Uh, sorry, Star-Lord, we haven't heard of you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, but he proves that while they might not know who he is, uh, he knows who all of they are. Uh, clearly identifies all of them. I'm very sad that I had a, I had an idea that this episode, I, I couldn't remember it well enough when I was starting out that I couldn't remember how exactly the Hunter character guy was going to work out to be. 
So I had this, re- I had a note that's sad. I, it wasn't even slightly true, but I'm going to tell it anyway because I was really proud of my joke. You do it. Uh, which was, I have, I'm getting the sudden sinking feeling that this episode is going to feel like Ronan's audition tape for Satita's Last Runner. Because it seemed very much like an episode that's in SGA, but then it turned out to not even be a little bit. So uh, <laughs> kudos to the episode for that. For not there you go. Is it? Can you, can you rip yourself off on a show that hasn't I know, happened? Yeah, yet? I was like for, for ripping themselves off for something that hasn't it's happened yet. <laughs> so you know, kudos for not doing that. But yeah, I uh, speaking of SGU, there's a guy um, in it named uh, a character named Varro. Who one of the yeah, again a reason why SGU getting canceled sucked was because the actor who played him I, he was one of those guys who's just never I feel like has just never really gotten his due appreciation in life. He's done a lot of sci-fi acting. He's done a lot of acting. Period. Mm-hmm. Hell, he's the security guard in Ghost Protocol who keeps getting distracted by the drop the dripping sound. <laughs> that dude. Uh, he's kind of a perpetual extra, unfortunately, because oh, he's God, really good. I love that guy. I love him. Right? Yeah, he plays Varro. He finally gets like an actual real main role just in time for the show to get canceled. It really pissed of me off. Yeah, um, but he's in an episode of SGA as uh, another runner. And this episode, for like three seconds, seemed very heavily <laughs> inspiring of that episode. And then it just immediately didn't. It didn't. <laughs> yeah, so that was great. But I felt really accomplished for a joke that didn't turn out to be. Aww. Yes. That was my whole well, what's nice is that, like, we're starting to get into episodes where I haven't seen it 20 times. <laughs> So, like, I'll remember that I loved this episode, and I'll remember, like, the whole I'm I'm not that kind of doctor <laughs> joke, but, like, I won't remember, like, all of the twists. Right. So, like, as I'm taking my notes, I'll, like, make predictions about what's going to happen, and then as it goes on, I'll find out if I was right, which is fun. And it's, it's fun when these moments when I'm, like, laughing at these guys for ripping themselves off, and then it turns out they didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, as you alluded to earlier, Jack does try to do his uh, nifty knife through the shield trick, uh, but it does not work this time. His I do facial expressions very... in every interaction, by the way, are amazing. Yes. I do, yeah, yeah, because, like, the banter's amazing, but obviously, like, Richard, like we said, um, the Flash Gordon stole all of the uh, later co-stars' uh, talent. <laughs> yes. And obviously, SG-1 have always been talented, um, so, like, there's just amazing face acting and banter this whole episode. But I do actually think it's really interesting that, like, you see the knife linger on the shield for a second. Like, almost like it got caught in it. Yeah. Cool visual, I think. I like the, I like the suggestion that it's almost enough to get through, to be honest. Uh, gotcha. I, 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 I guess I just didn't even think about it. Yeah, I just was like, okay, it's there, and now it's not. But uh, he he's like, yeah, that's not gonna work with my shield. He's like, oh, I'm sure you're you're used to this one type of shield that the gold usually use. Well, that's not what this kind of shield is, and knives aren't gonna get through. Like slower moving things aren't gonna get through. And then Jack goes, well, can't blame a girl for trying. I love all of his lines because he um says at one point too. I think it's when the guy says like, you know my name or whatever. And he goes, not I. Yes. <laughs> and I I freaking. I loved it. Oh, he's so sassy in this episode. <laughs> he's competing with Daniel for most sassy. Seriously, these two were playing tug of war on me all episode. And it's so great because, again, they were both being wildly sassy. They were competing for most sassy um, character in this episode. But, like, because they're two different people, they had two ve- very different deliveries of sass. Oh, yeah. It's great. Dude, I even it's, got it's a wonderful. beautiful little Daniel. <laughs> 
in this yes. episode, which made me very happy. Oh, it's been a while since we had one of those. I know. It, it sung to my soul. And we didn't get a Jack, but we did get a Jack look. There's a part where, like, Jack asks a very stupid question, and Daniel doesn't say anything, but he just gives Jack this look. <laughs> we talked about this last night. <laughs> So, like, he didn't say Jack out loud, but he was saying it with his eyes. <laughs> with his bedroom eyes. So, so yeah, uh, the the guy, Eris Bach, seems to have a very good, a very strong familiarity with their M.O.s. Like, he's like, yeah, I was expecting you to try this out. Like, this is a thing you're known to do. Which, to be fair, he's thrown, like, three knives through shields by now. It is a thing for him. <laughs> It's here that I started to notice one of the fundamental flaws of the episode, because it, it, it depends on Bach being a fountain of information. Yeah. And that, this is the point where I realized that they had kind of shot themselves in the foot with that, because this is where he just starts talking. And then he pretty much never stops talking no, the he rest doesn't. of the episode. I think they just wanted Flash Gordon to talk. Right? And it's like, we all know why, but it's... it's it's still amusing when it's like, okay, for a bounty hunter, you are sure really fucking talkative. I mean, I would say that that's still leaning into their whole uh, approach for this episode, which is the 80s action star exactly. thing. Because, like, the 80s action bounty hunter was hugely talkative and weirdly charismatic. And, you know, so it's like, it works so well. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. It works, oh, but yeah, it's ridiculous. It is. No, you're not wrong, but I, I, I appreciate the fact that, like, it's true and earnest to the genre. Oh, no, this is a genre episode. This is like Hansel and Gretel the movie. This is a genre oh, episode. I love Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> I, will, I will defend that movie against any I critic because of Jeremy Renner's line. He said something once uh, in an interview about it where people were like, oh, no, you're, not, you're not upset that it's not, you know, like a huge critical success you know critics and, he, right, and that's what he said he's like it's a genre film it's not supposed to be good it's dumb and delightful exactly it's dumb and delightful exactly. he moves a villager in front of him to avoid getting splattered by an exploded person just so he can calmly drink his beer without getting any blood on him because he's like oh this man's about to explode move Five inches to left, please. I don't. I don't want to. My hair is clean right now. I don't want to have to wash. That scene with the guy with the shotgun, where she's like, "Are you a good shot?" And he's like, "No, that's why I use a shotgun." Hell yeah, I love that movie. I genuinely love that movie. I I will campaign for a sequel for the rest of my oh life. Oh my god, I would love a sequel. So um yeah, so Eris Bach knows their mo's, and he tells them all to. It's a good thing the show doesn't even try to mention how exactly he's managed to access this much information. Like, I know it's supposedly probably just because he's, you know, in contact with Goa Uld and maybe Sokar and so yeah, forth. It's like I, a network I of information. I was totally willing to believe this, especially since the last couple episodes, they've been really hounding on the fact that SG-1 is finding out how much the gold know about right. them. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's a good thing the show doesn't go into details of it, because I feel like yeah. it would just emphasize something I've been saying for three seasons now, which is SGC... Does not understand security, even no. a little bit. <laughs> no, 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 no. no like, I have been don't. telling these assholes through my They're TV about to have the foothold episode, all right? <laughs> maybe it's all just them leading up to it. Yes, maybe. maybe. I, I'm actually, yeah, as I said it, I was kind of kidding, but maybe, maybe. This show is pretty good at crafting, so maybe. Yeah. Yeah, since season two, they've actually been pretty good about making the progression of episodes make sense for a season, so maybe. But yeah, so he tells them all to drop their weapons, or he'll shoot one of them. 
and the team all comply, and he tells them that he disabled the power to the gate, so there's nowhere for them to run. Uh, and then he lets down the shield so that he can start leading them off to a clearing uh, in the woods where he has an invisible ship. Naturally. Of course. And he locks them all away in a room on the ship. And uh, Sam, while they're in that room, tells Jack that that man, Erisbach, is not gold. Because the ship that they're on is very obviously gold. Yes. Like, the, it's got the gold, um, the gold walls that we see in all of, like, the mother ships and everything. It's very obviously gold ship. Uh, but she says that he is not gold. So he leaves them behind on the ship and obviously leaves for a little while. And then we see Jack says to start trying to break out. You know, he's like, because obviously Jack can't sit still Jack for a while. is a caged okay. animal, even when he isn't caged. Absolutely. So he starts like, okay, how are we going to get out? You know, starts like trying to talk this out. And Daniel's like, uh, even if we get out, the gate's still disabled. Because <laughs> Daniel's always got to be the uh, Debbie Downer. Well, here's the thing. The, the trivia actually did back me up on this one. Because I was, the, the, the dialogue seemed a little weird. And I rewatched it a couple times. Because even later, he also changes what he says to be a little bit more accurate. Because this, it was just, a, it was a minor goof. But here he says, Bach said that he disabled the gate. What he actually said was he disabled the DHD, which also, yeah, by the yeah, way, yeah. Um, consequently, should also mean that the gate is not disabled because you have done manual dialing before. Well, I, okay. It was just a minor thing. goof. Um, so I distinctly remember, I don't remember the actual details of what he said, but I distinctly remember that, like, he first actually says that, like, he, you know, disabled the power of the DHD. And then he says something about that he did something to prevent them from doing, like, manual dialing. Maybe he just didn't deliver the line quite right or something, but oh, it was just a minor flub. But basically what he says is that somehow the gate is disabled via the DHD, which doesn't really work. <laughs> no, no, because... Uh, Here, let me just bring up the page. Why, why am I... I'll just bring up the thing. Okay, while you're bringing it up, I'm going to say what I remember is that he says that, like... You know, I took the power out, blah, blah, blah. But then he also seems to, and this is where I don't have the the dialogue, so I did not write this part down because it wasn't funny. Um, but he says something that kind of indicates, like, and you can't manually power it from the outside and dial without the DHD. I stopped that, too. Okay, so it turns out I did, um, I misspoke okay. a little bit, too. The only goof was that they didn't really quite say enough detail to actually make what he said make sense. Okay, that's fair. Rereading this uh, thing, I'm now understanding that was a little... Uh, we've seen SG-1 escape from plants with damage destroyed or missing DHDs by manually dying the gate. To avoid this, Eris would have had to remove the DHD's power source. But that part isn't what's in the line. All he okay, says yeah. is that he disabled it, which is still kind of a goof because it's like, okay, disabled it, disabled the DHD, big deal. Like, we, yeah. we know gates And work. we do see at the end of the episode him explicitly give them the power yes, source. Yeah, so it's it's not actually that much of a goof. It's really just somewhat the delivery. Probably it was... They they didn't put they didn't choose the right take. Yeah, and I think I accidentally kind of, you know kind of confirmation biased myself into a little bit when I was reading the trivia. But yeah, upon rereading, I'm still partially right. <laughs> yeah, no, I I get that. Yeah, I think it's yeah it, it just wasn't clearly uh, portrayed the first time. Yeah, around. exactly. It wasn't that it was done wrong. It just wasn't done as right. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So Daniel's like, yeah, even if we get out of this ship, he disabled the gate. We can't dial home. And Jack's like, well, Teal, how fast can a ship like this go? And Teal's like, oh, usually about twice the speed of light. And he's like, fine, we'll be home by, by dinner time. And Sam's like, yeah, no, 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 that would take us at least ten years. And Space is very large. Here's the thing. I believe her, 
but I can't help but think of the end of season one where someone's math she was said wild it would take like 10 years for the mothership to get to earth and then it took an hour well to be fair it's because she didn't know how fast the ships could go yeah that's she thought it could only go like twice the speed of light or something yeah so like yeah that's why i'm saying like i believe her but uh, like sam you were confident about this before and you were wrong <laughs> yeah I, w- I would have liked a line like her doing a pointed look at teal and going now, presuming that that speed is, in fact, correct, <laughs> this is how long it is. Well, she she almost does, where she actually, like, says if it can go up to this speed. Okay, yes, yeah, so there then. you go. Maybe they actually kind of learn from it then. Yeah. Like, she didn't, like, pointedly look at Teal'c for it, but right. she specified a speed. There She's like, go. even moving at blah 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 speed, it would take us ten years. And then Jack makes a joke about... Should have let the dog out. I, I know he's going for funny there, but my first thought is, I know he doesn't actually have a dog, but that joke isn't funny. That just makes me yeah. think of a poor animal locked in a home. I'm just like, yeah. uh, someone's, whoever, sometimes people who write these jokes, you can tell who, the people who aren't animal lovers, like deep down animal lovers, because yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. a funny joke, man. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah you should have fed your child. <laughs> Wait, what? So, Aerospot comes back and he's clearly injured. And this is, this is the scene that this entire, my entire memory of this episode is this one scene. Oh, yeah? Where he comes in and he, like, goes in the locker room with them. And he pulls out, like, his own weird sci-fi version of a med kit. And he's like, Jackson, you know, come over here uh, to to fix me up. And Daniel's like, I'm an archaeologist. And he's like, I know, but you're also a doctor. And then Daniel's got this amazing pause where he just so stares funny. at Eris Bach for a while and just goes of archaeology also I, okay so at one point when he says I actually did look up the word kidding because when Bach first is introduced he goes are you kidding me I've heard all about you guys and I'm like are you kidding me how do you know the word kidding and then I looked at the etymology of it and it turns out that's actually my track, depending on how oh, yeah. um, language works, because it's nice. a very old Germanic origin word. And huh. this guy's not human, but seems to have had a lot of contact with obviously the Goa'uld and all of their, you know, human subjects. So I'm uh-huh. guessing somewhere in his travels, because he's known over 2,000 planets, he's met some old Germanic origin people <laughs> who yeah, have the word kidding in their uh, vocabulary. So fine, sure, cool, whatever. Um, But... <laughs> having said all of that this has always bugged me outside of like so star trek makes it makes sense when uh, an alien race will say oh yes this is a doctor because you're using your universal translators so it makes yeah. sense that the translator is substituting words that make the most sense there like yeah. not everything's mm-hmm. going to be directly translatable and so forth and i always understood that just because we use the word doctor doesn't mean that another species would So, especially since this guy actually, even though this guy looks hella fucking human, he does take the time to mention a couple times that he is, in fact, not human. Yeah. And obviously has a great grasp of the English language because he does not have a universal translator that they mention. And because this is Stargate and they can't afford to have new languages every episode. Right. But coming all together on that, the fact that this guy knows what doctor means to humans in the English language in this specific instance and only knows it as that type of physician, and yet doesn't know the word physician. Um, like, it's these little things. Little things have always bugged me like this, where somebody will say, yeah. you're a doctor, and they'll be like, yeah, of archaeology. I'm like, yeah, that's funny. That would work if this guy was from Earth, or somewhere that, you know, had that sort of 
language connection. I actually, so obviously, you know, I've said numerous times, my dream for this, my dream structure for this show would be that because you have a member of your team who speaks 23 different languages, every planet, he has to speak a different language. Right, but... Which they can't do that. It's not something they could reasonably do. Right. So obviously that can't happen. And so because I've already, you know, let go of that dream, I just kind of shrug off the fact that everyone speaks English and it's not an issue for me. So where I actually see this whole exchange more in the vein of the way that they have, like, the Teal exchanges where it's like the I am not Lucy, where he's like, you know, it's someone who isn't from Earth and doesn't realize that Earth has doctors that are not doctors. Yeah, that's the you know? thing. That, that, that's kind of what kills me is these. this particular type of joke is used a lot. And oh, yeah. when it's used amongst aliens, though, it's just it just doesn't quite click for me. Because why would he even know what doctor means in all races? Like, why does doctor apparently work across all planets? As the Can word. I give you a potential solution for this that I'm absolutely 100% wholesale stealing from a very good fan fiction? Okay. Traveling through the Stargate exposes you to a translator. Ugh, yeah, you told me that one before. Yeah. <laughs> that one hurt me the first time I hear it, and the second time I'm like, I mean, the only thing that explains how everyone yeah. speaks English. Yeah, no, it has nothing to do with the English part specifically, though. It's just the fact that this one English word consistently means the same thing across every single planet he's come across to the point where this joke can happen. I, it just, it, everything had to happen exactly right for this joke to happen, and it drives me crazy. I just, I don't know, it's, it's the littlest things that drive me absolutely batshit, but this is one of them, is when someone makes this <laughs> doctor joke to an alien. <laughs> where I'm like, why does the alien even, okay, out, I'm out. <laughs> I just, it's a little thing. But that did kind of stop me in my tracks. It's like, yeah, it's funny and all, but seriously, what? I just love it because of Daniel's delivery of it. I just love that just, like, just that long pause and then just the, of archaeology. Because it seems like Daniel himself is like, how do you know doctor, but not that we have things that are not doctor, doctor? (laughs) I think Daniel agrees with you, Liz. I think Daniel agrees with you. It all just lends credence to my grievance here, which is, what? There my we gre- go. My grievance agree can be you. summed up succinctly as, what? Yeah. So, because Daniel's like, no. <laughs> because Daniel's throwing a, a tantrum um, and refuses to fix this guy up. I don't want to. He gets Sam to do it instead. And he, like, you know, points out, like, gives her a... <laughs> The barest bones explanation of how to fix him. I forgot. What did he get wounded? Like you have some faith in her intelligence and level of adaptation. I I don't know, dude. What injured him? I can't remember. It was one of those uh, little globe things. That's what it was. Thank you. Cool. Yeah. Uh. So Jack asks him what happened while she's fixing him up, and he says that he was originally here to hunt a gold called Keltar. And catching them was just a happy little accident. So I know Keltar's fake. I know. I understand this. Yeah. I don't care. Um, it's t- <laughs> every time this comes up, I get re waylaid by it. Also, by the way, uh, God damn it, I missed so many notes here. Hmm. Thank you, Predator Lord, by the way, for pointing out via disturbing inside knowledge just how atrocious SGC security is, <laughs> and will yeah. sadly likely remain. 
And then after that, uh, Jack should be exactly negative 1,000% surprised that word's gotten out by now about SG-1. Yeah. (laughs) You blew up a god, Jack. (laughs) Did you think no one would notice? You blew up more than one god. (laughs) Right? Um, And (laughs) da-da-da-da. Literally has John push Rodney off the balcony to show the audience that things are going to be different here in the Pegasus galaxy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Uh, Sorry, I'm trying to find all my notes. I skipped so many. Daniel being so unfazed by everything, he just tosses his gra- uh, weapon on the ground. Just, alright, this might as well happen. I know, I love that. I actually thought about that when he's like, you know, put your weapons on the ground. I was like, you could just let Daniel keep his. He's not gonna use it. <laughs> Man, I had a lot of funny things I, hear- I wrote here. I find myself very funny. Um, oh, well, yeah. Well, maybe you should be reading your notes instead of right. knitting. Well, when. Not Stargate's fault at all, but when the uh, box says Brokna or whatever to you know get the ship to reveal itself yeah but he said Brokna and I looked up and went Brissinger it was just I couldn't help myself uh da, 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 da. I had a note here here we go once again the presence of a heretofore unknown and presumably low-tier gold creates so many questions about how any of their internal social structure works <laughs> it might help if it didn't appear to change according to the whims of the writer but yeah sorry there's a lot of uh I had to find my note on that, but that was a big thing. It's like, I, mean, I know Keltar's fake, but I, I don't care. Every time they bring up one of these unknowns, I'm like, I mean, I buy what? it. You've got the system lords, and then you've got all the lowers. But that's the thing. I, I, I mentioned this before in another episode. The ep- the show is entirely uninterested in going into the specificities, <laughs> the specificity of how oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the lower tier shit works. And I, I, I'm not entirely complaining, but it does create so many questions of who are these people? How are these people? Who decides where these people are? Are. How do people decide? I mean, at what level do snakes um, develop enough autonomy to be able to fuck off and go try to find a body on their own if maybe they don't want to be, you know, killed in a tub? I mean, there's little things. You know things. what it probably is, sitting here thinking about it? Yeah. It's probably, because you know there have to be instances where, I don't know, I'll, I'll give one specific example, uh, where, like, a Jaffa is off on a mission uh, and isn't able to get back, isn't able to leave, or whatever, and while they're stuck, wherever they are, where they can't get back to their gold system lord, and they're the only one there, or whatever, and they can't get back, the larva in their stomach matures, and decides to take a host on its own merit, because it's like, well, I don't want to fucking yeah. die. No, there's tons so of possibilities. I, feel like I just would have loved to see are those instances, where it's just like, it's a larva that there were no plans for. It was probably just cannon fodder, but there was a, a moment where it had an opportunity to fucking make a jailbreak and get its own host. That is perfectly plausible. There are tons of plausible explanations. It's not so much that I can't think of it, you know, explanations. It's just, I love that the show never try. has no problem just yeah. creating so many questions that they don't think about, but I can't stop thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's why we're doing this podcast. Right? Also, I do love at one point where uh, Box says, you know, that Earth, you do know that Earth isn't at the center of the galaxy, right? And I'm like, then why does everyone end up there somehow? Right. You say this, and yet somehow. Well, that's that's actually right. We're here. So when he says that I was here to hunt a gold named Keltar, Daniel's like, I haven't heard of a Keltar. And that's where he says that you do know Earth's not the center of the galaxy. And it looks like, I haven't heard of a Keltar either. <laughs> Bitch. And he's like, yeah, well, I haven't met every gold. Have you? It's like, oh, you have a pity comment for everything, don't you, you piece of shit? <laughs> you fucking 80s action star. We already have an 80s action star. Get out of here. We only need one. There can only be one. <laughs> All we need is the Kurgan. Yes. 
So, uh, he says that Sokar apparently discovered that this Keltar is planning to overthrow him, and that he, uh, does bounty work for the gold. I love the concept of Sokar being afraid of some no-name being able to overthrow him. And I love SG-1 falling for this. Because, like, I'm sorry, you were telling me that this guy can just randomly bring up a guy that you've never heard before, heard of before or now, and have apparently also completely missed him building up a power base where he has the ability to do this. Like, you haven't even heard whispers about this. That tracks. Mm-hmm. So there's a part where, like, <laughs> here's here's another great bit of just Jack being, trying his best to get the sass uh, crown for this episode. So while he, after he says that he does bounty work for the gold, Sam's like, so how do you keep from getting killed by them? And Aerosbox says, it takes talent. So Jack, without missing a beat, goes, so how do you keep from getting killed? <laughs> but why male models? <laughs> you said talent. You clearly don't have any of that. What's the answer, sir? Love it. You just said something completely unrelated to her question. I want answers. And I love that he just kind of like, Gives Jack this look, like, all right. <laughs> so uh, at this point, Daniel asks the question we would all be asking: How much am I worth? <laughs> Poor Daniel. This episode, <laughs> especially at the end, which we'll get to that. I fucking love his <laughs> his like ego rescue at the end, and how Daniel's like that does I don't that doesn't make me feel better. <laughs> I actually feel worse now, thanks. You can stop helping now. <laughs> but so he says that um, that Teal'c is the most expensive uh, because he, you know, is a, a Shulva first prime. And then he says that Sam is next for her memories of Jolinar. And then he says Jack is next for being a major pain in the micta. And there's a part where Jack goes, long pause, neck? And I love this because... Teal just goes, no. <laughs> but, like, after Jax's neck, you just see Daniel right... This is Martin Wood. Amen for your directing. Martin Wood perfectly frames the scene where it's just Jack and Daniel standing next to each other. And Jack being like, neck? And then you just see Daniel just breathe and then look down. <laughs> I love his careful non-face as he says, no. And then his complete <laughs> continuation of a non-reaction <laughs> to Jack being called an ass. <laughs> I just love that Daniel wouldn't even say no. He had to let Teal do it. He was just so done with Jack. He was so done with his husband at this point. <laughs> it's like his whole body language, everything about his body language is just screaming, tell me about it. Yeah, yeah, he's just going, ooh, I'm going to start using that word. <laughs> But I love it. It's just, it's so wonderful because, like, this is, this is beautiful evidence of Martin Wood's great directing and all of the actors' remarkable knowledge of their characters with, like, acting and everything. Because, like, what's so great about this scene is obviously it's hilarious, first off. But what's great is that, like, with just the framing of this scene, without, like, forcing prose, narrative prose down our throat... It's very obvious to the watchers at home. Yeah, Daniel knows what it means, too. Yeah, remember how Daniel knows gold? Yeah, Daniel knows what it means. <laughs> but obviously, we're still letting the Jaffa be like, no, that's not. It doesn't mean, <laughs> it doesn't mean neck. But Daniel's reaction is like, Daniel knows exactly what it means. 
And he agrees with the goal. I love how Jack actually has to get confirmation. Like, come on, Jack. Um, I, I feel like that was definitely one of those scenes where he's like, probably ask, but I'm going to ask. <laughs> Maybe it's because at some point Daniel has called him a mikta. And he's, he's been like, was Daniel calling me an ass? <laughs> Like, yeah, obviously he was. Daniel's <laughs> always calling you an ass. He doesn't even need another language to do it. But yeah, so uh, Eris says if they help him catch the gold, he'll let them go. As thanks for, you know, fixing his injury. And obviously because, you know, with him injured and alone, it's harder to catch a, a gold than it would have been when he wasn't injured. So it's kind of like, well, it'd be a lot harder for me to catch this on my own. And so if you help me, and since, you know, Sam fixed me up, I'll let you go. This is this is a bounty worth twice as much as both of you, all of you put together. And I love how at this point even Jack's kind of gotten the bug that Daniel had where he's like, I want to be expensive. <laughs> I want to be <laughs> where he expensive. feels kind of bad that he's not as he's not worth as much as this Keltar guy. It's just life's fault that these jokes aren't aren't ever as funny to me just because <laughs> I you know, we we worked in retail. Uh did you ever have that thing where you get a price tag stuck to you and then some asshole would come up to you and make a really disgusting prostitute joke? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I've gotten too many of those prostitute jokes, and so now these uh these price jokes are just it's not it's not the show's fault. It's not it's not their no, fault that the patriarchy not. exists. But yeah, but yeah. So you know, he's basically like you know you, you could trust me. You know, my 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 word is good on over two thousand planets. And Jack, without missing a beat, is like there are billions. billions. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I do love. I actually really love. Uh, Jack being the guy with the math there. <laughs> just That is not reassuring. That means sir. literally nothing. <laughs> right? <laughs> but uh, he basically is like, you know, fine. Like, there's, there's, there's a whole running theme in this episode where they keep being like, we're choiceless. Uh, and this is one of those instances where like, we don't really have another choice. I honestly think it's kind of an interesting running theme because of the fact that ultimately that's not true at any point in time. Right? I think, I think, I feel like knowing, you know, Robert C. Cooper, I feel like it was on purpose. Especially at the end when Teal'c says it. Because like, no, you have a very distinct choice right here. You could say fuck it and leave this guy. There is a choice. Claiming it as choiceless, I feel like it's it's on purpose. It's like them, you know... I feel like it's most of the time when people say that whole "I don't have a choice" thing. It's exactly what it, it's exactly what it always is. I should say, actually, uh, responsibility dodging. Yeah. In this case, they're not really responsibility dodging so much as being crafty. Yeah, I, I feel like the way SG One keeps using it in this episode is that like they're trying to reassure each other. Like, they don't want each other to feel bad about like, especially because a lot of this episode involves them having to continuously split up. So I feel like. They're they're saying choiceless to kind of be like it's it's a weird sort of reassurance yeah, yeah. to each other. I can see that. But yeah, so they agree to help this guy out. And for some reason at first I was like, for some reason this man thinks Daniel is a good second choice to go along with Jack to go hunt a man. And then I realized, oh, he, he wanted to leave the two most expensive ones in the ship. <laughs> like you and you and i was and there's more where jack's like uh no and he's definitely going why daniel no (laughs) you said you wanted our help this is not helping yeah can i just take a moment also to really i i always point this out whenever a show does this because they so often go the opposite but can we take a moment actually i forgot to mention earlier and some for some reason i never even wrote it down 
this episode, not even a little bit, does any of that shaky storytelling that I hate that involves the hunter being creepy on Sam. No, thank God. Thank yeah, fucking she gets God. left behind because she's expensive. <laughs> she's yeah. used to treat his wounds because he's talking to the other guys. Mm-hmm. They're the ones asking and also questions. also because she's the other science person and Daniel has clearly put his foot down and will not be treating exactly. his Exactly, <laughs> and he's talking to Jack, and I really doubt he wants a Jaffa treating his wound no. at his back. So it's yeah. all really clever little things that make it just a normal, nice interaction, Absolutely. where at no point in time is it at all about being creepy. There's yeah, not, no, there's not even a, a hint of it. And I love Flash yeah. Gordon. I love him for being... Hell? A wholesome yeah. piece of this, just by not being a predator. By, by being the predator, he isn't a predator, <laughs> and I enjoy that. No, what's funny is that, like, on that same uh, line of thinking, like, in my note here where I was like, why did you choose Daniel to come with you? I'm like, this doesn't say great things about his intelligence unless he's explicitly looking for a damsel in distress. I mean, he might be. And then we find out he kind of was. <laughs> my favorite thing is that Daniel is seeming to, like, kind of, like, resign himself to the role without it even really beforehand like he just knew it was coming yeah. because he yes, has like this did. grumpy little walk for example through the forest floor with yes, his hands dude, in his pockets in my notes. <laughs> which kept causing me so much anxiety because walking on an uneven forest floor with your hands in your pockets is how you get a broken nose now here's the thing he won't trip because uh in my notes i was like uh so oh god where is it <laughs> Walking through the forest, Daniel is either sulking or, like, trying to walk directly in Jack's footprints because his face is down, lasered at the ground the entire way. It might have it something to do, actually. It literally looks like he's, like, shadowing Jack's footsteps. Like, it doesn't matter that his hands are in his pockets. He ain't gonna trip. <laughs> I actually just realized something. This it's, it's, this might be entirely wrong because it's not based on anything, really. But there's something in the trivia. Uh, there's a couple goofs where I was... <laughs> It's really great. People trip a lot in this episode. If you watch, yeah. uh, Richard Dean Anderson found, found like every branch on the floor <laughs> to, to stumble over. Amazing. Um, and then when they're going into the ship, Daniel trips over the gear on the ground. Oh my god, beautiful. Uh, but what I really like, I should say Michael Shanks actually trips over the gear because it's clearly that not in the way and not in um, clear eyesight. And there's even a scene when uh, Predator's first getting introduced where he's walking into scene, he still has his Geordie visor on and... It was clearly an accident because his body wasn't in the shot, and so he—I th- think he thought he was out of, you know, out of shot. Yeah. But his little chest thingy started to fall, so as he's walking oh. forward, you literally see him put the thing back on. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful, I and love it's it. great. But I'm just realizing, um, maybe, maybe Daniel was damseling there, if, if only because maybe this was shot after Michael Shanks had tripped over the gear, and oh. after Richard, Richard Dean Anderson had tripped a bunch. Maybe he was tired of tripping. Maybe. I'm just thinking maybe these guys were actually tripping a lot. Listen, whatever the reason, it worked. I bought it as, like, his body language, because it definitely felt like he was like, I'm gonna be the fucking damsel in distress, I know, and I'm gonna be the fucking damsel in distress again. <laughs> but yeah, I just think it might be funny if the whole reason why it was just, like, a, kind of like a happy accident, it, like, fit for the character, and it was because Michael Shanks was tired of tripping. I'm guessing there was a lot of tripping going on that day behind the Must camera. In fact, it, it, yeah. if there were at least three distinct stumbles that I could see, <laughs> yeah, there have to be more. So it's not really based in reality, but I feel like it has to be somewhat. Which is wild to think because there is a part later on um, in like three notes here where Daniel has the option of walking around a very, very, very short tree or jumping over it. And he decides to jump over it. <laughs> I was like... It would have taken a half second 
longer for you to walk around it. Yep. <laughs> if you've been tripping everywhere, why would you jump over this? <laughs> Unless that was one of the first shots and he wasn't afraid of tripping yet. As always, I love Michael Shanks, and I, I love Daniel in this episode. He he does his parade of facial expressions, or jumps, oh, so or whatever, and he's just constantly a great presence. I, I mean, when his, when he's doing his little drop, drop, dropped, open mouth look. Dropped jaw, yeah. open mouth look. There we go. Fifth time's a charm. Uh-huh. When Jack's agreeing to the hunter's plan. Yes. And he's just, he, I, at one point I even made a note, he's just not going to close his mouth, is he? No. Because he spends the whole scene just in the background. <laughs> it's terrific. The only thing missing is him meeting Sam's eyes like, do you see do this you see shit? The do you shit? see what he's fucking doing? <laughs> I know it's your night with him, but God. <laughs> Oh my god. But I, uh, I, I was, oh, here we go. It's while watching two 80s stars banter in the forest in what feels like an oddly meta scene that I can't help but notice how low-key super offended Daniel is that no one is paying him any attention. Yeah! <laughs> He's being a You know, if you're gonna use me as a fucking damsel in distress, I'd like a compliment first. You can see where I, how much I love this episode, because in all caps, and a couple, a couple lines down, you can see the moment I lose it, fucking shoots him. No hesitation. Yes! that he basically does want a damsel in distress his plan is for them to fake surrender to Keltar and then as soon as they're close enough to shoot him with a zat and uh Jack's like yeah cool plan I don't have a zat and there's a fun little exchange where he calls it a zat gun but um uh Eris calls it a zat nicotel and he's like a zat gun and he's like yeah it's it's yeah drop the nicotel and he's like huh I like it If only because the other guest star does such a bad job with his pronunciations. If only because of that. I I deeply appreciate Flash Gordon for pronouncing everything so well. Because not only was it not super, you know, overemphasized, it actually felt, it it, it felt kind of normal. Natural. Felt natural. It felt a little more natural than that one one conversation I'm going to keep referencing until a worse one comes to mind. (laughs) Um, Until a worse one comes about. Uh, Well, I was going to say that that conversation between Ellen and the other dude that one time where they just both didn't sound comfortable um, speaking that so it yeah. wasn't like that at all I, I really got much more of a flow from it and I'm kind of realizing it probably had something to do with the fact that he was in Flash Gordon <laughs> they probably had to say all kinds of weird shit he's probably just he was probably just so used to saying weird shit that it didn't even it didn't probably. even phase him when he saw these new lines he went ah yes weird vowels alright I'm back I'm, <laughs> I'm home. back in the weird vowel land and yeah just cause he says that Nicotel for example not like Teal'c at all. He doesn't say it like it's your fault. He says it like he says it like a different person. He's just a good actor. It's great. Yeah, he's a great actor. Like I said, he took all of this other guest star's talent. Yeah, there was too much talent on the screen. This man, there was no room for this other guest yeah. star. It's wild to consider the fact that there are only six people in this episode. Yeah, it's it, it's um, almost it's it's not even remotely the same, but I'm going to pretend that they my bottle episode yes, with characters. Yes, I was gonna say it's not even remotely the same, but it's still kind of bottle episode esque. I mean they I definitely like saved money episodes. with only having six characters. They didn't and also they were just filming in the woods. Like Dude, I'm the Stargate sure isn't even shown in this entire this episode. episode. Yeah. I'm sure they did save a lot. Like like they had the woods and then one set. Yeah, probably because the, Flash um, Gordon was expensive. They they made it work. Oh um, yeah. yeah, they made it work. I didn't even yeah, care so, that I didn't see the Stargate in this episode. It wasn't until I read the trivia that they were like, well, in the few episodes where the Stargate's not present. And I went, that's oh, true. Yeah. yeah, so he gives Jack a gun, and Jack immediately shoots him with it. <laughs> yes. 
No hesitation. None. Yes. This was my introduction, I'm pretty sure, to this particular kind of trope. I know Indiana Jones definitely did it first. I know I saw Indiana Jones first. But that's a wildly different take on this. Especially because it was wholly because Harrison Ford had dysentery and he didn't want to do the knife fight. So he's like, no, how about I just shoot him? And that was obviously more like that dual standpoint type thing. This one is perfect. (laughs) <laughs> for being my introduction as a concept to this trope because it's it's just very jack very jack and it's so accurate not just to jack but to like life because the guy just gave you a gun shoot him yeah and he does yeah and then oftentimes a show will do the stupid cliche of the gun not being loaded and then the person's like ha yeah. and they don't do that here it's, it's well they kind of well no no do. they do it better that's what i'm saying they, they do yeah, it they do it they do it better they do it clever in this, this show in this, this episode does this shit better and yeah. there's a reason why I have such high standards because shows like this are, they prove all mm-hmm. the time how capable they are. And then every time they don't do it, it's just that much worse. I, I just, I, I feel like before this episode even started, Daniel was already in a mood for something we're not allowed to know about because he's just ready to shoot down everything that happens in this episode. So right after Jack shoots Eris and he falls, Daniel's immediately like, cool. Uh, the gate still doesn't work. <laughs> and, D- and Jack's like, we'll take his ship and fly to the nearest planet and use their gate. Daniel? I do love how Jack's like, so? <laughs> Jack Jack doesn't care. He, he, he solved problem one. Yeah. And I'll get to the other ones. And he's used to Daniel, so he doesn't care. And the best yeah, part exactly. about being a fly by the seat of your pants kind of person is that if it has worked so far... There's it nothing to, to tell work. you otherwise. Yeah, like, it'll just keep doing it. Logic tells you to keep mm-hmm. going. So they, they retreat back to the clearing where the ship was. Meanwhile, uh, as they leave the screen, the camera lingers on the quote-unquote unconscious body of Eris Bach. And I, I actually think they linger just the right amount of time. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. I, I will Before s- he opens his eyes. Yeah, no, I will say this, though. It kind of kills me a little bit that... I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a... I, I don't know if it was a, was a mistake or not. Mm-hmm. Jack makes a Kevlar joke. And then the idea of body armor completely escapes him. Yeah. And I feel like that dialogue was actually a bit of a mistake because it sets something up on accident here, which is Hold up. stupid Jack. I feel like the Kevlar joke happens after this reveal. I, I still don't care, though, because the writers, they wrote the episode first. So yeah, I'll, no, I'll change I'm how I read like I, Maybe he explicitly made a Kevlar joke because he's oh bitter my God, okay. about the, the body I armor. Mean, maybe, maybe I'm remembering the... Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm... I didn't write down yeah, the Kevlar joke, I didn't, but I, I didn't write swear down it happens after okay. this reveal. Well, if... I, I'm pretty sure it doesn't because of how I wrote the note. Like, I'm pretty sure the reason why I wrote that note is because the Kevlar joke had already happened, hence why the body armor thing made the clicking in my mind. I'm pretty sure it happened first. I mean, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that... Either way, let's say I'm right, then it's funny that he says Kevlar and then forgets that body armor's a thing. <laughs> if I'm not right, then whatever. But if I am right, that's funny as fuck, in a weird way. Yeah. Either way. <laughs> um, I mean, he, I think it's another instance of, like, they've seen body shields, but they haven't seen 
armor that will no, like, I know. I just find distribute it funny. a Zat gun. I I buy it. I mean, I in 1969 there Zat's was a metal chest that such... distributed all the electricity, all of shock around the stuff inside. So it's not yeah. That's of. been such perfect solutions for everything up until now. Can you blame him for thinking it would work this time too? Yes, I very much can. <laughs> well, Daniel agrees with you. <laughs> So, uh, they get back to the ship, and, well, they get back to the clearing, and it's invisible again, and there's a great little, like, uh, who's on first exchange where they're, like, trying to figure out, like, what the phrase was to find it again. Brissinger. Uh, where they, they come up with, like, a couple of semi-close words, and they're like, no, that's definitely not it. And, they're, like, they literally, like, backtrack through what happened. Where they're like, okay, so he came over, said this, I said this, then he said... And then Daniel remembers what he actually said, and it appears. And of course, Jack makes a very weak Gazunheit uh, joke. And then they almost killed themselves. No, it was fake. What happens if it hadn't been? He doesn't, he can't, he cannot control all the factors. He cannot control all the variables. Just because, just because the episode did work out the way he planned it doesn't mean that it would have. Like, it's, I find it convenient. I don't think so. I think he purposefully said it in front of them. Let me rephrase this. I find it to be a mistake that he did it. I find that if it hadn't been in a TV show, this wouldn't have worked out as well as he wanted to. I feel like there was a lot of shit that could have gone really wrong because these people are all free-thinking adults and are very smart and could have done any number of different things. And he doesn't actually know them that well, unless he's like a clinical psychologist who really understands their deep profiles. So what I'll say is, A, yeah, it's a TV show. All, every single episode we've watched has coincidences. That's how TV shows work. I just, I can still complain about the convenience of it. Yeah. Uh, But B, they make a point in this episode before this happens to show that he knows their modus operandi. And I have a problem with that. That's what I mean. That's part of my problem. I have a problem with it. It's the fact that this guy has never met them. And unless you had a line that said that I've been hardcore stalking you guys for so long that I know your every trait, it just is odd to me that this guy is able to completely understand them to the part where he understands exactly what they're going to do and they're only able to fall within his exact guidelines. It's just a little interesting to me. I don't think it's that specific to leave two of their party members behind and expect them to come back for them. I don't think that's very specific at all. I, that's what I was saying, I was rephrasing a little bit. It was mostly the fact that they, didn't, they, they only did shit in the ship that, again, followed his plan. He was even mad that they took his um, Ritu gun. The, and he was like, why the fuck would you do that? And it's like, well, if you, thought, if you knew that I was a possibility. He wasn't mad. He was pointing out that it doesn't work on any... He, all he says is... It's stupid for you to grab this. No one but me can use it. Yeah, I know. He wasn't mad. Well, he he was was very... Okay, I disagree. I think he was upset. And what I'm pointing out here is I find it interesting that they could have done quite a bunch of different shit to his ship and didn't. And it just so happens to conveniently work out for him. (laughs) It's just my personal point on it. That's all. Yeah, I just... I just feel like like he literally you know, planned the the trap, and he was like, there you go. I find it to be a little too perfect of a trap, and I find that it worked a little too perfectly, because it seems like a lot of variables were overlooked. That was it. Yeah, whereas I don't think there were very many variables to the trap well, there at all, so. Well, I, I do. Yeah, that's just one where we're just going to disagree. Yep. Those happen sometimes. Yep. Um, So they get the the ship open, they, they make it appear and get in, and then they immediately go over to the keypad, See, this is actually the one where I will agree with you, where it's like, unless, of course, he, 
uh, in this case, they should have shown something or had him say something to this. The one variable I feel like he definitely couldn't account for is the fact that Daniel didn't remember the keypad um, order yeah. to open also, the Also, what if they didn't for... remember the, 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 the word? Like, what if they thought it was Brissinger? <laughs> I mean... Then he would find them looking around the the empty clearing. Then at that point, it seems like that would have been some interesting wasted effort on his part. I'm just, I was, that's just all the stuff that's like, it's funny to yeah, me that this fair. was worth it to him. Yeah. But, uh, so I, I definitely, my one issue, and it's not even that big of an issue, is just that it's like, well, Daniel could have been paying more attention when you were putting in the code to open the door, but he wasn't. So there's like a, there's like six buttons at the door to get into Sam and Teal'c. And Daniel starts to, like, it seems like he remembers part of it, or, like, maybe has a vague... Because he definitely goes in like he thinks he knows the buttons, but then, like, it didn't work. And then Jack, like, calls to Teal'c through the door, and he's like, Teal'c, how do we get this door open? And Teal'c's like, well, it's gonna be a five-digit combination. And this is another one of those instances, this is actually explicitly the, the instance where, like, Daniel doesn't say Jack, but his face says Jack, because Jack's like, oh, five combinations. How many, how many tries could that possibly be? And Daniel just turns, because he was, like, fitting with the door, the buttons at the door, like, trying to remember what it was. And when Jack asks that, Daniel just slowly turns his head and looks at Jack. Like, are you fucking serious? <laughs> So he basically tells Daniel, like, figure it out. And then wanders and asks Teal, okay, how, tell me how to fly this ship. I'll, I'll basically, I'll decide to fly it while I'm getting you guys out. And Teal's like, well, there should be, like, a, a main steering console. And there's a little pillar that's, like, blinking um, little symbols in the center of the room uh, of the ship. And Jack looks at it for a minute and then goes, Daniel... <laughs> <laughs> what if the ship had actually had a self-destruct? This is what I'm talking about. This works it out. It did have a self-destruct. No, I mean, like a real one. Like what happened? What happens if the people who can't read these things then start pressing all the wrong buttons? <laughs> he he actually covers that. He says it can't be set with only two crystals in it. I feel like they could have searched his body and gotten the crystals or something. Like, there was a lot of things that they didn't do. If they searched his body, he would have stopped That's what I'm saying, is that it's convenient. They would have had to search his body for those crystals, but that means that he wouldn't have... It doesn't quite work as a plan. But also, why would they have known there would have been crystals on him? That doesn't make any sense. That's what I'm saying. All of this is just slightly off to me, (laughs) because... No, but what... I don't understand how you're saying that's what I'm saying because why would they search his body for anything? Because they're why searching they his body for a weapon. Anything that they need. Search his body for a yeah, weapon. It was very supplies. I I would I would okay, I don't know about you, I guess, but I would 100% search the body of the person I just knocked unconscious who was my captor and might have any number of useful things on him, including but not limited to some of my own personal shit maybe that I didn't see him put in his pockets. Maybe he stole Star-Lord's Walkman, who knows? Um, I mean, <laughs> yes, it could be a lot Walkman. of stuff. You know, it's like, I, 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 I mean, maybe this is a reason, there's a reason why I don't play Skyrim anymore. It's because I cannot stop looting. Maybe it's yeah. just because of that. But that I would have, I would, I guess, Mel, you've actually helped me realize what the core of this whole issue was for me, which was, I would have approached the entire what turned out to be a plan on his part, I would have approached it entirely differently from the prisoner side, which is, you know, after shooting him, I then would have rifled through every single one of his pockets and then some. And... 
I also would have been checking him for signs of real unconsciousness because I'm a paranoid bitch and it has nothing to do with what I've seen in TV shows. It has everything to do with the fact that it's like double tap in uh, zombie land or something. You just go for the extra just in case. But again, I'm also going to be shuffling through every bit of this man's privacy because I want to know everything that he could have that might be of use to me. And as a result, I would have found that crystal. And then at that point, we would have had a problem. <laughs> So for me, I think the fundamental flaw there is at the beginning, they don't do something I would have done immediately, which would have solved pretty much everything that came their way. So either it's really convenient that it worked out that they didn't do it, or it's convenient that they didn't somehow get the crystal, you know, let's say he would have not noticed or like kept faking and let them take the crystal. I don't know why he would have, but let's say he went down super stupid road. He definitely wouldn't have. Exactly. But let's say he goes down super stupid road and decides to really emphasize his method acting and he's going to pretend to be hardcore unconscious <laughs> and he's going to let them take the crystal. Again, why would he? They would just leave. I understand that. Yeah. But let's say he's super confident in his abilities for some reason, or he has backup plans or something, and he lets them take the crystal, and now they have full access to his ship. That's where I'm starting to say, okay, but how do you know that I could press any number of buttons? Again, it continues further down stupid road, hence why he would never let them take the crystal. So it brings me right back to the source of this problem, which is it's all predicated on the notion that they don't search his body. <laughs> And it drives me a little bit mad. Well, the issue is that Jack's the one who tells Daniel to get his weapon. And Daniel's not going to search his body. It's an in-character well, mistake, but Jack it is a mistake. Jack wanted to get home, and he, he was separated from his team. So, like, I I've 100% will be like, yeah, it's an in-character mistake. I will, the one thing I will say on, on the end where you're like, well, what if they had gotten the crystal and gotten back and started pressing buttons? He was right on their tail. They wouldn't have been able to do anything quickly enough for him not to fix it. I time. mean, I I see entirely what you're saying. I don't necessarily know if I agree, just because who the fuck knows what could have happened. Also, sometimes yeah, no, sometimes uh, Sam yeah. has super strength as super yes, brain speed. Something I wild mean, could yeah, have happened. Any number of wild things could have happened because wild things have happened. Um and yeah. so on and so forth. And I get why they do it. It's because the episode has to happen. Yeah, <laughs> and it's yeah, not yeah. even really like you 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 very succinctly were, you know, counteracting what issues I had because the show does a good job of trying to make it as airtight as possible. Mm -hmm. It's just not airtight um completely because you can't be. And it's it's great, but they do they do a good job of making it seem to TV play out as natural as possible. Convenience. They just yeah, have exactly. to happen. And they try their best to make this play out naturally, and I think they mostly succeed. Yeah, and I, I, I will say, obviously, like, like, like we said, you know, TV shows have to rely on convenience. It's the only way stories happen. Um, but it's a sign of a strong show and a good show and a well-written show when those conveniences rely more on in-character choices or mistakes in this case instead of, like, literally just, like, deus ex machina kind of conveniences. This just seemed like a bad plan on the Bounty Hunters part, and I mean that as in the character had a bad yeah. plan. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah, no, no. This man is full of bad plans. This man is full of bad plans. He is an 80s action star. That is all they do, is make bad plans. I do like his infallible logic of, I am the best because I'm alive. Yes. While demonstrating behavior that doesn't seem to be conducive with living. Dude, that's also an 80s action answer. What makes you the best? I'm still alive. Okay, sure enough. Sure enough, buddy. <laughs> like, alright, Knight Rider. Another show I never watched. <laughs> okay, uh, so... Oh, where the fuck am I in my notes? That's what happens when we talk about something... We, we talk about a single note for, like, 30 minutes. I, I don't remember where we are in my notes afterwards. So, he, he calls... Daniel over to the pillar that's blinking 
And he's like, what's this? And Daniel's like, I think it's some sort of countdown. <laughs> and they like, reached the Jeff oh. Goldblum part of the movie episode. Yeah. And so they're like, well, fuck. You know, and, uh... Dude, they were on Showtime. I would pay good money to have one of these guys finally just once say... say fuck, right? Well, fuck. Like, you could... Once, just once. Just, Come on, You could just one. give me a single fucking cuss. I swear, they, they put, like, a maybe shit in the uh, messenger Message in a Bottle episode. And even then, I had to really listen for it. Which is wild, because I always think about... Um, so, I've, I'm sure I've said before, um, my favorite movie... I have to say series, I guess, uh, is Back to the Future. Because if I have to pare it down, my actual favorite movie is Back to the Future Part 2. Um, but, like, I love the whole series, right. obviously. But if you watch the first one especially, I'm, I'm thinking of for this example, there are so many swear words in it. Not fuck, obviously. Right. But, like, every other swear word and a lot of it. And it's like a PG movie. I was like, how? I'll have to rewatch that with that in mind. I don't, I don't really remember it. I remember him just saying, oh, this is heavy a lot. Oh, no, because he calls the um, the the terrorists, you bastards, when they shoot right. down uh, sorry. Doc Brown. Sorry, I, I guess that's not, sorry. I grew up in a very vulgar household, so I forget that that's actually a And he says yeah. shit a lot. He, there's a lot of, there's a lot of swearing. Obviously not fuck. But like I, I'm uh, sometimes this, this is the downside to me being my own barometer is because as you might have maybe noticed I tend to swear like a sailor, uh, and so I just kind of forget the like, shits an actual swear. <laughs> so I yeah. keep forgetting that. Oh, well, I guess he does swear I, a little I bit. I don't huh? really. <laughs> like honestly, I, I mean, I don't really. I don't personally give a shit right, about right. swearing. No, I just never really um, noticed it. But I just thought it was surprising because it's a PG movie. Wait, it's just it's just PG. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Well, in that case, I definitely agree PG with you. That movie. is very surprising. Wow. Yeah. The censors have changed. Wow. I mean, I will say my uh, DVD copy is quite old. Yeah, just it's just funny how like you know the you know MPAA shit has changed over the years. I mean, there's a lot of stuff these days that's PG-13 that when we were kids would have been. It's PG. Wow. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought a PG movie would be filled with shit. Man, Bastard is, you know, no, for a PG movie, that you're right. Wow, interesting. Although, there's a thing. Huh. It's so funny. So I, I, I literally just typed in Back to the Future rating. Yeah. And in big old letters, it says PG. And then underneath, um, attached to a website called commonsensemedia.org. What? It says PG-13 definitely. <laughs> As in, if you uh, retroactively re-MPAA'd it, it probably, probably would be a probably PG-13. Probably, if, if it was rated today, it would be PG-13. We are over halfway through these notes. Let's do this. Yeah, Because we're already two and a half hours into this recording. Yeah, we're not going anywhere today. Uh, so, so the, they figure out that it's a uh, self-destruct countdown, and Jack's, again, yelling to Teal through the wall, like, how do I turn this off? He's like, okay, well, you gotta lift the the center bit off and see the insides. And he's like, okay. And then he's like, so there should be three crystals there. And Jack looks inside. He's like, there's only two. And Teal'c's like, then you can't fix it. This would have been a great moment to show Teal'c's integration into the Tower a little bit more, while also following up on the "I'm not Lucy" kind of thing, while also yeah. fulfilling my deep desire to hear someone say "fuck," <laughs> where you could just have. Him saying, there's only two, and then you could just hear from the other side of the door, Teal'c's deep voice. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) 
anyone should be allowed to say the fuck, let it be Christopher Judge. I feel like out of the entire main crew, Christopher Judge would be the one to swear more on set. Yeah, I can totally see us now as headcanon. Then I must tell you, O'Neill, we are fucked. <laughs> but yeah, so he's he's like, uh, you know, they, they basically figure out that, that uh, Eris probably has the other crystal and they need it to, you know, fix the self-destruct. So, so Jack decides to send Daniel to go fetch him. Daniel, Jack makes so many bad decisions in this episode. <laughs> but so he starts to go out and immediately runs into Eris, um, who, uh, although I did, so I, actually this is one of the instances where as I was writing the note, I'm like, oh no, actually I know exactly why he sent Daniel out. He sent Daniel out to go fetch the crystal in case it would take too long. At least Daniel will survive the self-destruct. Oh, yeah, no, that, that yeah, no, that part was because he was going to stay with uh, Tilkin and Sam. Yeah, it was basically like, look, if it's, because they, they, obviously Daniel's like, this is a countdown, but he doesn't know exactly how long the countdown is for. And if he wants to be able to potentially save people, he's going to do it. So he's like, I don't know how long it's going to take you to get to him. He might not even still be there at this point. If, you know, if getting the crystal and getting back in a timely manner is not possible, at least Daniel will survive. Exactly. No, I so that's it. definitely why he sent yeah. Daniel out. While also being amazing Jack as always, where he's, it was never an option for him that he was going to leave. No, God no. Um, but yeah, so he immediately runs into Eris Bach, who uh, grabs his gun back from Daniel. Bach he's is like, back. Yes, he is. Bach is back. Uh, and he grabs the gun and he's like, yeah, this only works for me. Um, so it's like bio-locked. Uh, which, biometric guns would totally uh, track. Uh, Tech-locked guns would totally track. Why yeah. I, I understand the reason why I know of these things is because of these shows. I know it's I, yeah. I know I'm being unfair, but every time somebody in a sci-fi show doesn't think of these things. Here's the thing. I don't know why he decided he felt the need to tell them to everything explain that to them because Daniel didn't try to fire it at any point in time. <laughs> My fist of rage here, because it's just like it's amazing how incredibly expository this dude is. For no reason that other than the episode calls for it. Maybe he's just, like, really attached to his gun, kind of like Jane with Vera. And he's like, give me my Wait, fucking what did you call it? back. Vera? Oh, okay, you did. Sorry, I, I thought you said Mara for a second, and I was like, No, I said Vera. No. I know what it no, is. No, yeah, no, yeah, I call it Vera. How dare you? Yeah, I, that's the thing, is that for a second, I was almost, how dare you? <laughs> I know, I know what I'm fucking talking about. Uh, so, yeah. So he takes his gun back. And then, um, and he reveals that the countdown was a fake out and puts the missing crystal back in. He's like, now it's set. <laughs> like, now if you try and steal my ship, it'll go off. But so what exactly was his goal here? Just to fuck with them. Why? Was it to add runtime? <laughs> This seems Listen, like a weirdly pointless alone, interaction. Bored. This entire bored. thing is pointless. I just, I guess maybe it was, I, I kept telling myself it was because he wanted to assess their abilities so he could then try to use them as a strike force. But I just, uh, I have to thing. reach I think for it's that. Twofold. I think it's twofold. I think, yes, I do think, I do genuinely think he was, you know, assessing their, their solution skills yeah, and their problem solving and, and, and all that strike stuff. force. Yeah. yeah. But I also think it was... I think it was also combined with the idea that, like, he gave them their chance to escape. This is proving that, like, 
Stop, don't, don't waste my time trying to escape. I have this covered. You know, kind of like, in a way, trying to break, not, not really break their spirit, but you know what I mean. Like, dissuade another attempt. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, they like, see? Look, I know what I'm fucking doing. And I, my, to which my response would be, okay, then why'd you let me take your gun? Because apparently it was bio-locked. <laughs> right? What happens if they try to take it apart or something? Because that shit definitely has happened in other shows, and then all of a sudden you have a gun that's blowing up. Whoops. Whoops. I'm just saying, he doesn't know how stupid these I mean, people might be. They definitely didn't have enough time to take a gun apart, but yeah, I, I get mean, you there. when there is a will, there is a stupid way. <laughs> when there is a Daniel who is in a bad mood and ready to make everyone else be in a bad mood, there is a way. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. Like, Daniel entered this episode in a bad mood. It's so funny. <laughs> uh, but this is this is the scene where we get the opposite of the uh, panic, the gay panic cough. Where, after he confronts them with, you know, the fact that he basically set this whole trap up for them, and he's, and he's like, and after I trusted you, blah, 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 obviously, like, he, he doesn't, he's not actually hurt. He's just kind of, like, fake guilting them. Like, and after I trusted you. I thought we and were then, friends. And, and after we made that deal. And then Daniel just wide-eyed. We're sorry. <laughs> he says, uh, he, he says, uh, we're sorry. Is the deal still on, on the table? table? And rapidly bats his eyes at this grizzled bounty hunter. Who taught you to flirt, sir? I lost it at that scene. <laughs> Daniel, I... <laughs> I love you. I need to know which member of SGC took Daniel aside and said, if you ever get in a bad situation, this is how you get out of it. Who taught him to flirt with the enemy? They need to be punished. Maybe he's finally realizing that if he's gonna be the damsel in distress, he might as well try to seduce, like, all the damsels. There you go. That's literally- I- He's- he's- he's, that he's is decided literally to embody his, the damsel role. That is literally his role in this episode, not even, like, ironically. That is exactly what, like, the damsel in this scene would do. Like, big, batting, blue eyes, like, we're sorry. <laughs> I also love how he's got, like, nothing to lose, so he's, like, vaguely, fa faintly sarcastic, too. He's just like, we're sorry. Do you still want to work with us? Because <laughs> he's still a right? You can only expect so much right? out of him. He's like, I don't give a fuck about you. I don't give a fuck about your false hurt. I don't give a fuck about any of this. Go fuck yourself. Go fuck your horse. He's like, look, I'm not happy that I have to be the fucking damsel in distress again. I'll read the lines but I'm not going to put my heart into it. <laughs> Sometimes I love it, because like whenever somebody's being super dramatic, you'll have uh, a moment where somebody cuts through it. Either it's Jack going, all right, for crying out loud, let's get to the point. And if it's Daniel, you'll have him make like some kind of snide. Well, if we're done with Shakespeare in the park. <laughs> oh, God, I love this fucking asshole. <laughs> this pain in the mikta. <laughs> Yeah, if there's anybody who is uh, has the real potential to be a pain in the Mikta, it's... Oh, yeah, it's definitely Daniel. That's why Daniel knows what Mikta means. <laughs> Alright, let's see if we can do this in three hours, alright? I mean, I don't have hope for us. Oh, I'm trying, I'm trying. So, uh, they agree to have them all go together this time, and he lets them take some of their gear. Um, and he tells them about how... Uh, this is, you know, again, how you said, like, he's very chatty. And as they're walking to the location where uh, this uh, gold is apparently hiding out, he tells them all about how his race can't be inhabited by the gold, so they killed most of his planet. 
I mean, this is basically just the Fury and Ray's story. Yeah, oh, absolutely. He, he, this is this is where they got Riddick from. Someone watched this episode and went, I can do this. <laughs> and he talks about how his wife is dead, but his son is a slave and so far is not what a mind. And he's hoping one day to get a bounty big enough to basically buy him out. Nice sob story. Yeah, entirely fake. Which I actually appreciate because it's like so obvious of a sob story. It's like the cookie cutter sob story for a bounty hunter. Oh yeah. So I appreciate that it's a lie, honestly. <laughs> so he leads him to a cave where he says Keltar is hanging out and he sends the boys off um, to uh, basically ambush Keltar and lead him into a shield trap, leaving Sam behind as a hostage. And we see them go down and like you know, approach the the cave. They found out from this guy that um he got injured in the first place by like uh distant fires that seem to like automatic firing. Uh like a turret kind of thing. And so Jack asked uh Teal'c like, hey, what kind of thing could cause this? And he and Teal'c's like, oh and he he calls it a uh sorry, where where is it? He Oh my lord. The super long oh. name. So, yeah, I, I did not write it down. I, I'm saving myself. So, uh, I say Jack, my note here says, Jack throws a flare to reveal the location of a couple of orbs that do automatic fire that Teal calls Tax to be kind to Jack. Dude, when Daniel reacts to the length of your name, you know it's too long. <laughs> yes. But I love, no, what I love is, like, because he... he he absolutely does it to be kind to Jack because he starts with the word tack. Yes. He does not start with the full word. He starts with tack. And Jack goes, tack, Nicotel? <laughs> and then Teal'c says some insane fucking word that I'm not even going to try and remember. And both of them give him this look like, what? And Teal'c just stares at them for a minute and goes, tax. <laughs> like, what do you want from me, man? I didn't name it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, it's supposed to be, like, motion-sensitive, so at first Jack tries to throw a rock, and it doesn't do anything, and he's like, could it be heat-sensitive as well? And he looks like, yeah, there's a good chance of that. So then he lights a flare and throws that, and it manages to trigger the two, um, little orbs that are set up for the automatic fire, and Jack and Teal'c, uh, shoot them with the zats, and as we've seen in previous episodes, apparently shooting any sort of, um... Technology with zats turns it off. Yep, why not? You just have to accept that. Why sure. Not? Why not? Uh, so, Teal'c throws a smoke bomb into the cave to smoke the man out, who quickly identifies himself as Tok'ra and asks for help. No, no, help. no, no, Mel, Mel. He identifies himself as Tok'ra. Tok'ra! I'm sorry. I am Tok'ra. I'm so sorry. And then we cut up to Sam and Eris, um, who... Uh, we, she finds out that he can track the gold by tracking Nakoda, which is how he knows where the rest of her team are right now, because he gave them zats. So he's, like, tracing the Nakoda there, so he can kind of, like, have an idea of, like, oh, they're on the move towards the cave, because he knows where the cave is in conjunction to where he is, and so that's how he knows where, you know, has a basic idea of what they're doing currently. Not bad. Um, it works. Yeah, I buy it. It's based on Especially science for they've a already bounty used. Hunter. Yeah, and it's based on science they've already used in the uh, mm -hmm. show so far, so. I like. Yeah. So, uh, she basically is, like, trying to talk him into cooperating with them. 
And she's like, you know, if your race really is, you know, immune to the gold, that's huge. Like, if we could figure out what caused that, you know, that's that's a huge uh, advantage for everyone, really. And he's like, I don't, I don't know what caused it. And she's like, yeah, but we have medicine, you know, we have science that we might be able to figure it out for you. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, that that what's a fair trade for me? And she's like, well, we can help you rescue your son. And he's like, yeah, right, you know. Just kind of, like, shrugging off her offer. Has nothing to do with the fact that the kid is, you know, fake. Yeah, that's why he's shrugging it off. <laughs> it's like when somebody comes to you begging for ten bucks, you know, for food, and you're like, oh, let's buy you some food. And they're like, no, 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 I need the ten bucks. And you're like, uh-huh. Uh-huh, yep, yep, yep. So we cut back to the toker guy, who also knows way too much about the team. <laughs> immediately recognizes all of them and names them and everything. I okay, so it's not that it it's not that it really defies logic. It's just I don't know. I, I okay, you you let me know what you think about this cuz I can't decide how I feel. It's not that it doesn't track that the Tokra would, you know, be sharing all knowledge amongst all of their, you know, members or whatever. But it I don't know, does it seem a little under cautious to give everybody the same level of uh of all the all of the knowledge because that means that if anybody gets captured they could be a fuckery uh they could be a, a problem see i actually read that he and this is my own personal read because this is not something they you know explicitly spell out but it's something that i'm getting from like previous episodes um honestly i'm thinking a lot of like the treaty episode or the apophis episode that you know where apophis we had Sanctuary with them for a while. I think those two specifically, really, uh, for my references outside of this episode. Uh-huh. But my interpretation was that he got that information um, about them from his spy work with Sokar. Oh, shit. Okay, Because yeah, that it's works. been sort of insinuated that, like, the gold are very aware right, of and, them and, and have Sokar a lot of information on them. Yeah. 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 And it could just be that he wants, you know, information about the Tok'ra also but specifically yeah. this dude, because he was the one who infiltrated. No, actually, that totally tracks. Cool. That does make it a little, yeah, it make it it a little as, better. Yeah, I read it as it being from Sokar. Yeah. It just seems a little interesting that the Tok'ra are that potentially free with their information. And, you know, because, like, what if you don't suicide in time? Or what if something happens? Well, that's actually why, another element of why I don't think he got it from the Tok'ra is because of the fact that, like, he doesn't seem to be incredibly familiar with any of the people that they're close to with the Tok'ra. Like, he mentioned Sam and says that she's, like, daughter of Jacob Carter, but, like, doesn't really talk about Selmak. Right. So it's just, like, the fact that, like, he could, like, list off facts about them, but couldn't, like, list their actual, like... Things. You know, explicit connections with the Tok'ra made it feel like he was getting this information from the gold, not from the Tok'ra. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't see any problem with that, so sure. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't hurt. Yeah, it's definitely one of those where you have to, like, read into a lot of little things, but I do think it helps that a lot of what I'm getting this from is another Robert C. Cooper episode, yeah. the treaty one. Yeah, it's something I've kind of touched on before. I kind of like how it could also be a bit of a character trait that, like, it shows some cultural similarities on a base level that the Tok'ra have with the Goa Old, which might be, like, arrogance, for example, so they might be oh, yeah. a little arrogant in their presumption oh, that they can a be arrogant. these acquirers and spies and all this stuff and that it's low risk and not like low risk obviously but yeah. they honestly think that they have a plan for everything so yeah. i can see that translating into I, I being a little it. too free sometimes with knowledge so either way you've seen them be arrogant yeah, either way it, it totally makes sense i like yours a little better but at the very least it could <laughs> be that yeah uh so he says um 
that he's he's Tokra and um no, Tokra. Daniel Tokra and Daniel at this point is like, oh, this is why he kept Sam. It's because she could very easily identify him as Tokra instead of Gold. Um, which I like that like I like that every time she gets singled out in this episode, it's never because she's a woman. Right, exactly. I love it. I love it. She got singled out for fixing him up because of the fact that out of the two science people on the group, Daniel was clearly being a brat and was refused. And then she got singled out this time because he needed uh, her not to immediately reveal. No, that's a Tokra. Her name is Jolinar of the Tokra. I really appreciate that she's being singled out in these two instances, not because she's a woman and it's never like, it's never an element. Yeah. Of these scenes. Yeah. I appreciate that a whole heck of a lot. Don't get me wrong, there's times where they use her being non-threatening as a woman in a way that's just natural, not sexist, but it's always nice when that's not forced at At all. all. Yeah. I definitely think um, what helps the show in general avoid that trap a lot, not all the time, um, but a lot of the time, is because of the fact that generally Daniel inhabits the role of damsel in distress, not her. Because the only thing better than a damsel in distress is a sarcastic uh, damsel, and Sam doesn't go sarcasm, she goes analytical. Yeah. So, um, he tells them that uh, he was spying on Sokar, and he escaped when he thought the jig was up um, by stealing one of his cargo vessels and uh, landing here, because he's basically going to be like, I you know, went to the closest planet with a gate and was just going to gate out. You know, presumably we got presumably back to the Tokra, uh, but he says that Erisbach was already waiting for him at the gate. And they're like, "Well, he said the ship was his," and he's like, "Yeah, he, he lied about that. He lied about a lot of things." What the bounty hunter lied? What? It's honestly kind of like a great element of the fact that, like, yeah, he's been like this incredibly chatty, Kathy. Uh, person this whole time, except like 95% of what he's been saying has been a lie. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Um. So, he says that Eris plans, uh, oh, yeah, he says that Eris plans to trade the ship and all of them to Sokar. And then, uh, they're all kind of like, well, shit, kind of like doing that shared glance thing. Um, I actually think, so this is what, so I regularly complain about when, um, We'll have to, like, quickly cut between two scenes, like, if if we don't linger in a scene for a long time. Like, I've complained before, like, that one time where we went to SGC for a five-second scene that didn't need to be there. Yeah, it's bullshit. Um, But I actually think this one's framed really well. I think it it works because of the fact that it's it's only two scenes, and we cut equally between them. And it's just that we're learning things on both sides at the same time. I think this cut between this this multiple cut between scenes works. I mean, I would agree. There's there's good instances of it, like uh, the fugitive, where uh, the scene, you know, I want a search of every outhouse, henhouse, doghouse, whatever that whole thing. And it, as he's yeah. sa- saying it, it keeps in cutting back to between him and Harrison Ford running. It's it's great. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. very tense. It's very. It's very well done. It's very well directed. Or like the episode where Apophis died and they were cutting between like the um the really tense action-y bit in the gate room and the very solemn um Apophis passing on Apophis's post host passing on and, and Daniel doing the rites. Yeah. 
It was really good, thanks. When I when I complain about cutting abruptly between scenes, it's when it's done wrong. Oh, hell yeah, no, same thing. <laughs> this same, is not same, being same. done wrong. Yeah, no, no, no. Nope, you're right. Yep. Because Martin Wood knows what he's, knows, knows what he's doing. Yes. Uh, so we go back to Arison and Sam, and uh, Eris asks Sam what being a host felt like, and she's like, it's, the, the, the Tok'ra are, are incredibly different from the gold. Me explaining what having a Tok'ra in me was like isn't going to help you understand what having a gold in you is like. It's not that I disagree with what she's saying entirely. It's just that I disagree with a lot of that statement because she was still taken over against her will by Jean. Oh, yeah. still, it was still remarkably uh, it was still a remarkably similar experience. I know that it isn't indicative of the Tok'ra as a whole. I get that. And that's the whole mm-hmm. point. I, I, I'm yeah. not missing that. But it does, I don't know, I find it a little weird that that dialogue is, it, they're trying to go for something and I get it, but it's still not actually that accurate. So I will say two things to this, uh, and they're very minor things because I'm not terribly invested in this answer. Um, there's some where I'm like, no, 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 this is what I really feel about this, but the, like, this one's yeah, not so one of those. <laughs> sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm just contractually ob- obligated to play the devil's advocate role. That's my job in this, ep- in this show. Um, but two things I would say is, one, uh, after the first Jolinar episode, in, like, the, I'm thinking specifically, definitely, like, Tok'ra Part 1 and Part 2, and I'm not saying this was a good thing because there were a lot of problems with Tok'ra Part 1, but they kind of made a point of having, like, as she was, you know, meeting the Tok'ra and getting to know the Tok'ra, her recontextualizing her experience as the host of Jolinar. So I think there's that aspect. Like I said, what she said, what she said wasn't really entirely yeah. wrong, and she was getting more of the point than her individual experience. Oh, absolutely. But I would also say that I think ultimately it also comes down to that's a really personal thing. I'm not telling. Right. You. I know that was kind of my first thing. I was like, I'm kind of surprised she actually bothered to respond with that because I would have been like, hey, Yeah, I'm you before. Like obviously there. The, there's a narrative reason she right. said what she exactly. said, but like before she said it, I was I was like I was just expecting her to be like, yeah, I don't owe you that information. <laughs> if it had been me, it would have been fuck you. That's what it felt like. Yeah, because you're a chatty Kathy doesn't mean I'm gonna tell you all my life story shit. Yeah. Uh. Oh, <laughs> my note for that though is Eris asked Sam what being a host felt like, and Sam's like Tokra are vastly different, bro. Get educated. <laughs> Read a book. Read the book. So Sam accuses him of only pretending to be cool with the gold when he really isn't, and basically, like, accusing him of caring. And, uh, there's a- after she confronts him with that, um, he kind of, like, you know, scoffs it, but he's not being super strong about scoffing over it or whatever. Uh, mostly because he's distracted because his hands are starting to shake around his gun, uh, and she definitely notices that. Um, right after he, she notices that and the camera focuses in on his uh, handshaking, we see him pull out. So the, uh, earlier in the episode, we'd seen him at one point pull out this little blue plastic thing of liquid that he'd squirted into a flask and drink out of. And they were like, you know, what is that? And he's like, it's a, it's a drink. <laughs> um, and at this point, after we see his hands start shaking, he pulls out another one and again squirts it into his flask. And starts drinking, and she's like, "What is that?" And he's like, "Water." Water. And she's like, "What did you put into it?" And he just looks at her for a minute and goes, "Flavor." Flavor. (laughs) I do love him going fucking Kool Aid packet. Yes, I, dude, I was literally thinking of like those uh the little twist top Kool Aid the the, 
You know exactly which ones I'm talking about, right? Yep. Hell yeah. I loved those things as a kid. God, there was so much sugar in them. <laughs> I uh, I gotta say, though, uh, I mm, I don't care if it's the 90s and no one cared. or I don't care why no one cared. It still should be said that this episode trivializes the fuck out of addiction. Oh, yeah. And they don't even uh, begin unfortunately, to attempt to address it. Unfortunately, I think they just didn't have the time. Yeah, yeah, but that's the problem. Is if you don't have the time to address a serious topic like that, do not use yeah. it. Do not use it. That is super not cool. So yeah, I just yeah, I feel so... unhappy about that. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, um, that's happened before on this show where it's like... Hey, addiction's a you, disease you start, and... You started to talk about something that you really needed to give a little bit more well, attention like speaking to. Speaking of reading a fucking book, the thing about it that really triggers me is that, A, addiction is a disease, so mm-hmm. stop being so um, insensitive about it, world. And second thing is, I'm not going to go into detail, obviously, but sex trafficking and forced brothels run on forced drugging. Oh, yeah. They drug these women, and then they are now dependent on them for their fix. So they don't stay mm-hmm. because they actually want to be there. They stay because they can't get their fix anywhere else. That's a really real-life horrifying thing that's happening. It happened. It was happening then, and it's happening now. Oh, yeah. And people are uncomfortable about it. People don't want to talk about it. People don't address it. And then it becomes something that is completely and utterly trivialized as a result in this, which is this guy is in forced labor to the Goa old because of addiction that they forced in on him, and they're not even going to begin to talk about that. That's not okay. So the the one thing I do want to say, um, and I'm not um, negating this because this is honestly, again, this is just one of those like this is my read on it. So um, basically, on your on your subject here, we cut back to the Tokra who tells. Uh, the rest of the team about how the wife and son thing are a lie um and how I, I don't know if he actually uses the word addicted i wrote that in my notes but um he's dependent dependent is yeah probably a better word to the stuff he's been squirting into his flask that's called roshna um and th- this is the part with the backstory where um the way it felt that it was suggested to me um i actually got less of a addiction thing and more I immediately thought of so he basically he said that the gold put it in all the slaves water and this is the part where he goes and through the generations it became to where they have to they're, they're dependent on this and instead of addiction, it's still an addiction. I actually read yeah I, yeah I, I'm, I'm not dis- like I said I'm not really disagreeing with you I'm just saying that because of the way he, especially because of the fact that he said in through generations or whatever, what I got out of that was honestly more of a, um, the way they, they had quote unquote, the solution to like, uh, population control or not population control, but you know what I mean, of for Jurassic Park, how they had the whole thing with the dinosaurs where they were bred to need a certain, um, you know, I still haven't seen their food. Oh, I've actually seen the first one now, so I guess I just don't remember that. And I, yeah, okay. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I've only seen the first one know. ever, and that's just because Eric made me. I don't know me. if they actually mention it in the movie. It's definitely brought up in the book. But there's this whole thing, at least in the book. I don't know. I don't remember if they address it in the movie. But one of their m- numerous uh, safeguards that winds up failing them is um, that basically their answer to, well, what if a dinosaur manages to get off the island somehow? Mm-hmm. Like then it would die pretty quickly because all of the dinosaurs are bred to need a certain like 
vitamin or something. I don't remember exactly what it was, but like some particular like mineral or whatever. To a vitamin, they are rec- they need a certain vitamin in their diet to survive. And so if they don't get that within like twenty four hours, they die. Right. So but the difference here is that one of these things is, is an animal, and one of these things is a person. Yeah, but I'm just saying that like that's not quite. And, and again, I'm not. I'm. A, I said this to begin with. I'm not disagreeing with your point. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying that, especially with the fact that the way he framed it around, like that this happened like generations ago, and it's like become like it, it's been bred into their species at this point over the generations. It seemed less like an explicit addiction and more just like I. I can see what you're saying, and I can see that that's probably yeah. true mm-hmm. that they were. That's what they were going for. The problem is. Yeah. It did not succeed. Not to disagree with you at all. Uh, I'm not disagreeing with no, what yeah. you're saying. I, I I agree with what you're saying. Um, I'm just I'm just <laughs> still upset because yeah. obviously a it still just runs directly parallel to addiction, especially with like the handshake yeah, and withdrawalness of it. You know, and the fact of like that's why is, in my note for it, I still use yeah, the term yeah. addictive. Yeah, and the fact that it's just it's the fact that they go back onto the forced labor via this thing, like. In mm-hmm. Star Trek, as I'm, oh, I should start adding a ding, ding, ding. Honestly, after Star Trek, I don't know why I have it. Yeah. I feel like that was just, you know, that one's. Uh, I'll just be dinging everything up because I, 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 we're named. I'm named right. after a Star Trek character. I mean, what the hell? Mm-hmm. Anyway, point is, in Star Trek, in DS Nine, they have the Jem'Hadar, who are bred to serve the Dominion, the the, the founders, and the whole way they're controlled is through this stuff called Ketracel White, which is, in this case, actually is a narcotic. They don't even try to fudge it. They, it is a narcotic uh-huh. that the Jem'Hadar are bred to be addicted to with the sole purpose of making it a ritualistic part of their lives. They literally live to serve to gain this drug, and if they don't get it, they die, and they are willing to do this because they think it's honorable to do this and, uh-huh. and, and the Ketracel white is a gift from their gods it's supposed to be disturbing and fucked up and it's heavily yeah. explored throughout this um the series because that's the point and they address yeah. it they never had any intention of not addressing it i find it just i go back to what i was saying i know that they were trying to do something different but the problem is intent doesn't always cover it here this was extremely disrespectful what they ended up doing and i have a problem with it it's just it's just not okay i i get over it remarkably quickly because it's from the 90s as in it's just it's 20 years ago this was made so i can only get so mad about something that you cannot do anything about at this point and on top of that i know they were trying to be respectful so i'm not gonna try you know lambast them for that i will just you know rebuke them accordingly which is hey yeah, you, you guys yeah. had the capacity to think about the repercussions of this but you didn't mm-hmm. and as a result this happened yeah take your lumps for it and hopefully do better yeah no i like i said when i was explaining my viewpoint on it i didn't disagree with you yeah, yeah, point, yeah no, so. i got that yeah well yeah. to be fair you would have to be hella fucking wrong <laughs> to, <Yeah. laughs> to want to disagree with the majority of what i said like personal preferences of like details aside the yeah. core concept yeah, no, i just like, I had to point it out because literally in my notes, one of my notes is just, basically, it's Jurassic Park. Yeah, no, I, I like it, I like that perspective better, mostly just because it's cleaner and nicer and not horrifying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, also in the sense of, I can see what you're saying. I never actually got that take yeah, yeah. originally. I was just like, guys, really? <laughs> and Yeah, I got that I take because the of the side, fact so that he helpful. said specifically through generations. Yeah, no, I, I, the thing is, I, I heard that line, I just didn't care 
Um, yeah. And I'm, I, this is why I like working with you. So, uh, at this point, the Tokers basically talked them around to helping him. They, they, they believe him enough. Jack's definitely still not totally sold, because, like, without Sam there to be like, yeah, this is Tokra. Yeah, Jack is actually completely sold, Mel, because at this point, he has to have deduced that no gold could be this bad of an actor. Fair enough. Yeah, that's what it is. That's definitely what it is. But... At least out loud, he, you know, says, like, I'm not still totally convinced, but, like, I'm going with you for now, um, because we can confirm more of this later, especially if we get Sam. Jack is the epitome of fuck it. Yeah. Uh, so the Toker tells him that Eris can talk, can track the Nakwita and their guns, so leave their guns, and they, you know, drop him on the ground and, and sneak off, and, uh, and almost immediately Eris is like, they haven't moved in a long time. I gotta say- <laughs> It was definitely a wise choice on the show's part to not show what he sees because there's no way that visual indication could have possibly given him that information. There's no way that visual could have, like, unless it was a picture of them doing it. Yes. And so they do no, very wisely. It was very smart for them show. not to yeah, show yeah. They don't even what try. he's looking they at. They don't even try. Yeah, so he figures out that, like, in some way, shape, or form, they, they have betrayed him. So he uh, shoots Sam with his special gun, which uh, seems to knock her out. And he leaves her on the ground um, in a very obvious trap, which as we see uh, the rest of the team like sneak up on the location, Jack immediately goes, well, that's a trap. <laughs> it's a tarp. <laughs> it's a tarp. <laughs> I just, that was my first thought. Obvious tarp is yes. obvious. Yes. Jack calls out the tarp. Um, but he's like, look, you know, obviously we have to do something about it, so, uh, I'm gonna go into the trap. You guys wait back here. <laughs> and he's like, Til- can you take him? And Tilk's like, yes. <laughs> so, uh, he goes in and, like, checks on Sam, and we find out she's definitely not dead, she's just, like, knocked out. And he's basically, you know, being ready to be, like, grab her and, and retreat, but, uh, Eris shows up with his whole ship just rises up <laughs> okay that's what we call overkill sir what year was firefly again what what year was firefly long after this long after it was a long i don't know i mean yes. i was my when i say i'm a when i was a kid that can literally encompass any age for me between one well, and um, 17. So when I say I was to a give kid you an when I answer, Firefly, I, I don't know the actual years, but to give you an example, uh, Buffy started the same year as Stargate. Jesus. God, we're old. Yeah. Um, that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> but that's, that, that, that's, uh, like, it's not, I can't give you the years yeah, for no, Firefly without looking it up, but I think that gives you a good enough indication. I feel like 03 sounds about right for me for Firefly, because yeah, I, I, I know Serenity was 05. I want to say it and then be stupid, mm. but I was like, I feel like it's really early it sounds, thousands. It sounds, it feels like, oh, yes, it feels like early knots. Um, I, either way, I just like the moment here, because it's, I, I got a Firefly vibe, but I like how Firefly is actually ripping off from Stargate here a little with that. Yep. Uh, or maybe ripping off from something else because honestly, it turns out Firefly is basically just a huge ripoff of Cowboy Bebop. Oh yeah, watching Cowboy definitely. Bebop all the way through with Eric, and I was like, "Holy God!" <laughs> the whole show is an homage to the uh, to the anime. Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah. So his trap was to uh, ambush them with the entire ship. Uh, so the three remaining people who have not been captured uh, run off again, and uh, we see back in the ship that Jack, like, is, uh, crouched down over Sam, like, coaxing her back into waking up, like, hey, you know, because 
she like briefly seemed to like flicker her eyes open earlier on the the cliff face but didn't like wake up and so at this point he has to he eventually has to resort to kind of lightly slapping her face to get her to uh entirely wake up and once she does he asks her if she recognizes the name Cora, which is the name of the Tokra. Um, and she pretty much immediately is like, yeah, that's how, that sounds familiar. And at this point, after confirming that the Tokra was telling the truth, Eris walks in with the other three that he immediately managed to grab. But yeah, so he immediately like shows up with the other three. And I love Jack's way to play hard to get boys. <laughs> But I love that this is another competition of the, uh, the sass. <laughs> because right after Jack's like, way to play hard to get, boys. Then Daniel just, like, fucking gives him this look like, fucking bite me. you're not helping. <laughs> and Eris says that they're still free to go. <laughs> He's like, well, I gave you my word. Even though, like, you know, they didn't keep their end of the bargain up at all. <laughs> Although I guess technically they did bring him, I guess, in a, you know roundabout sort of way they did bring him the tokra <laughs> but he's basically like yeah you guys are free to go i gave you my word um and he says that he contacted sokar who has is sending a mothership down to the planet and uh and cora is basically like i will not betray the the tokra and like every time i hear cora all i can like, think is avatar yeah right and he's like really dramatic about it and um uh, Eris shoots him with his fancy gun and then reaches into his mouth to find that he was about to bite down on a poison pill. Let him. If the Avatar dies, the next cycle can begin. Oh no. And he's uh, seeing like the poison pill and the fact that, that Korra was about to like kill himself to stop accidentally or you know being forced to give information. He's like, that's enough to make him start questioning if the Tok'ra and the Gold are actually the same. 2,000 planets, and this guy hasn't figured out anything about the Tok'ra before. Nope. And he starts to have second thoughts at this point, but he's like, but I already gave, I already told Sokar to come. I, ha I have to give him something. <laughs> and Teal'c's like, you can give him me. I will be a decent trade-off. And everyone's like, Teal no, Teal'c. <laughs> so I, I know this is heartless of me and, and all, but I feel like somebody could have floated the notion of just putting that poison back in. I, because the guy was okay, willing so to die, so why I, I'm you actually, just uh, I, I, this I would problem. say that I was heartless before you, because the moment this man revealed himself as Tok'ra, and that, like, if he got captured by Sokar, then he would be tortured until he gave up information... I was like, Jack, just kill him now. I just would have put the pill back in because then you could have de delivered the dead dude to Sokar and been like, oh, never mind, he can revive him. Shit. Yeah. Oh, that's Fucking true. Fucking sarcophagus. Never mind. Unless we're right about the fact that if the um, if the snake itself dies, then there's nothing you can really do about it. I don't know. That I still, I, I just don't know if it, I feel like the sarcophagus would have to be able to revive dead gold to some degree. Otherwise, it would kind of. But then, no what purpose. would be the point in having a poison pill? Mel, I have no answers for you. I don't. I don't. I because no matter what, there's a hole in someone's logic, and I think it's just because somebody fucked up. I mean, the fact that the Tok'ra have to be spies with the gold, I am willing to believe that they've developed a poison. A, a poison that's sarcophagus resistant. 
Yeah. That, that tracks. like destroys the larva enough yeah. to where No, that I'm down with. That 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 yeah. I can totally believe. So yeah, put the poison back in and just give him a dead dude. Like I said, they yeah, exactly. both those people involved there, the Tokra and the, the, the dude, the host, they were both willing to die. So mm-hmm. you could toy with the idea of letting him. Like I said, as soon as they found out he was Tokra and like if he got taken by Sokar then he would wind up giving information. I was like, just kill him. Just kill him and, and give Eris a dead body. I'm not saying it should be the first You're thing like, you, you didn't, do. You didn't say you needed him alive. You should have been more specific, sir. We talked around it a bit. You tried. But now's the time where at least someone should throw out this idea of potentially just doing some cold-blooded murder. You know, it's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. I just think this should have at least been an idea. <laughs> so, uh... He's basically like, well, I, I have to do something. And so Tealgrek, um, he volunteers himself. And the team definitely don't want him to do this. Um, but he does the whole, you know, uh, we are choiceless thing again. Which is like the third time they've brought this up. Um, you are not and... choiceless. You have the choice of yeah. murder. Oh, you that's, have so that's an many explicit choices. choice right here where you are deciding. But again, I think that's why they, it's like they're trying to reassure each I, other. I, what I hate is that language does this where what people are meaning to say is there is no moral choice that I can make here. Okay, there yeah. is no mm-hmm. ethical choice. There is no logical. What they mean is there is no insert modifier here choice yeah. to be made here because there is always a choice. I hate that cliche in oh, TV, yeah, but it's also something I don't hate because it's entirely true. There is mm-hmm. always a choice. One is less desirable, but yeah. Oh, definitely. There is always a choice. So, fucking bite me. <laughs> so, uh okay, so Eris gives Sam the missing piece of the DHD, um and they leave Teal'c with Eris. Um, and as they're flying up in the ship, Teal tells Eris that he believes that humans in Tok'ra can overthrow the gold. And when, uh, when Eris expresses doubts about that, Teal'c's like, well, I would rather die trying, at least. But I have seen the movie Pitch Black. <laughs> um, and Eris claims to hate the gold as much as Teal'c, and is basically just like, man, I really don't want to do this. <laughs> you know, just like... Kind of almost like, like, obviously Teal's sitting right next to him, but he, at this point he's honestly talking to himself. Just like, man, I really don't want to do this. And Teal just kind of slowly turns his head and looks at Eris. And then we cut down to the surface of the planet again, where the team see the ship explode in the sky. And they have a second of being like, oh no! Oh, no. But then they see two uh, little capsules get shot out from the ship. And land nearby, so they run out to go check them out. Once again, it sure is lucky that the best bounty hunter in the galaxy happened to have both a conscience and a heart of gold. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> also, on top of that, I uh, once again kind of missed a few notes here, but I wanted to bring up a couple of them. Um, oh yeah, first off, okay, so the 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 Tokra dude is the guy who points out that uh, Flash Gordon can track them via their tech, and yet he has yes. one of these glove gauntlet thingies on. So if he knew this, then why did he keep his tech with him? I smell plot convenience. I would say, um, honestly, I would say it's that he didn't realize until he got cornered in that cave. Eh. 
You can stay for now. That's fine. All right. That one. That one. That one, that one. I don't hate that one. Tired. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. All right. Um, and then I. I didn't try very hard, but I'm very tired. It's 10 a.m. Uh, I also do love uh, forced dialogue, like when Jack says, "Can you talk to the guy who had just said who he was and that he was a Tokra?" Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting going like, "Can you can you talk?" He was talking. He just. Yeah. He just talked to you. What? <laughs> like, that's just weird. It's, a, it's because they came back to them after another thing, so they're, like, trying to you yeah. know, reemphasize it. But it's like, meh, meh. And then the rest, I think... Oh, that's, that's a lot of you bitching, bitching about the actor. <laughs> oh, he's bad, yeah. Uh, wow, let's talk about actor. No offense. Is absolutely terrible. I'm surprised he didn't make breathing an essential part of his character and spend each scene huffing in oxygen like it was going out of style. And then, oh yeah, here we go. Why is the show so obsessed with awkwardly long takes on Teal staring slash reacting to nothing before he finally decides to turn and leave? Because they have that a lot. That's the only thing he's allowed to do in the show. But they do a big old take on him in the ship where it's literally just showing him reacting to like kind of nothing. And then he finally just turns and it's like, oh, I was expecting something else there. Okay, and that was anticlimactic. I, here's the thing, I remember what shot you're talking about, but I can't remember where it's placed, so I can't give you an answer for what he was reacting to. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and, and, and then last but not least, this, this one last point on this bad acting, uh, his head shake in the background as he's reacting to shit is the final straw for me of just <laughs> terrible acting, because he's just so timed with his solemn head shake. And it's just everything this guy does is overacted, and I kind of just it's hate bad. It. it just it stands out, you know. It's really it's, yeah. he, he is a very well, sore yeah, thumb so there. Well, yeah, so many good actors right? in this episode. It's it's, it's, it's glaring. Yeah. So they get to where the the pods were and find you know Eris and Teal are both fine. And uh, Eris gives his explanation. He's like, "Yeah, I, I radioed Sokar and told him I was having technical difficulties, and, and then I blew up my ship." You know. The guy who overreacted and full-on attacked SGC for a while just to get back a corpse is okay with this guy's ship blowing up and doesn't investigate further. Well, he 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 uh, he does say that like yeah, but yeah, he has like I was expecting more of an immediate response. He probably thinks he died. Should give him enough time to escape. Like he's not sticking around here to see if his. I guess it doesn't cover not track. It just feels weird that Overkill dude is so easily fooled. Um, I know this is an issue that uh, somebody brought up once about Star Trek Voyager was that they kept beating the Borg, and so by the end it was kind of like the Borg were supposed to be threatening and they weren't anymore because they were always yeah. so easily defeated. So it's kind of getting to that point where the Goa Old are either a threat. Or they're not, and yeah, this is shaky. This this is a little shaky because Sokar's either a threat, or he's that guy you can bamboozle. Yeah, that's which fair. one? Um, but yeah. So then he, I do love that. Like he gives this explanation. He's got like that cocksure '80s like action hero delivery, and then he like pauses, and like they all just kind of like look at him, and he's like, "What? I don't I don't get any thanks." And <laughs> Sam's like. For doing the decent thing? <laughs> He's like, well, I mean, He's I like, well, feel like that could have been nicer, but I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Like, wow. <laughs> Look who jumped up six steps just to have the high ground. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so at this point, they they ask him what he's going to do about the Roshna, and he says that there are plenty of other, of other gold out there for him to trade with. And that's why I, that's why I got Yeah, upset. no, I get you. Um, I do, 
I do appreciate that, like, he makes a point of giving Sam some and in the hopes that they'll figure out a way to replicate it. And then at this point, he tries to boost Daniel's ego a little bit by being like, the gold, you know, the gold price on your head is actually pretty high. He doesn't say where Daniel falls in the ranking. But he's just like, no, you you, you actually have a pretty good uh, uh, bounty on your head. They really want you dead for figuring out how to use the Stargate. And Daniel's just kind of like, thank you. That doesn't make me feel any better. <laughs> not, not to knock Daniel's reaction, because it's great, but I don't buy that for a second. I think he just says that to make Daniel feel better. Because honestly, oh, why yeah, would I don't, he have done anything yeah. that he did with Daniel then if he was valuable? I think it was... Slightly true. Slightly. I think Daniel was still the cheapest member. <laughs> sure, I could buy that. But he was worth more than a right. ration or two. Yeah. <laughs> Which was the line earlier in the episode where he made Daniel feel like he was two two inches tall. <laughs> I love his reaction. <laughs> By being like, yeah, you're worth like a ration or two. And Daniel's like, oh, oh ration, well. <laughs> and then Jack's trade you. <laughs> yeah, I know, like that. But yeah, I think, I think it was just like, no, you are worth a lot. You're just still not worth as much as them. I do wonder why it's like, the only thing I can think the reason that Jack actually ranks higher than Daniel is because he's the leader. Yeah, he's the tactical leader, and the tactics are what have fucked the the gold up the most here. Yeah, but if it was like on the petty end, Daniel would at least rank higher than Daniel, because he's definitely done a couple more things to piss off the gold than Jack has. But they're at least being slightly tactical by having Jack be. It's it. It makes sense. It works. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely think he was trying to make him feel better. But I, I do think he was also being honest with him. He's like he explicitly did not tell Daniel where he fell in the rankings. True. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So at this point, this is where right before they pat they cross uh, paths. You know, for good. Um, part. Uh, he gives. Part. Yeah, that's. I was like, pass me, that's not the word I want. And I'm like, I can't find it. I've been up for 22 hours straight at Gross. this point. I am tired. Let's get you to bed. Let's do this. Yeah, I accidentally woke up at, at noon um, yesterday. So the fact that it's 10 o'clock and I'm still awake is rough. Uh, but yeah, so uh, before they part ways, he gives Sam uh, a sample of the Roshna. And in the hopes that they'll be able to figure out a way to replicate it to save his people someday. And then what? To what end? Where are your people? How do we get this up to your people? Can we contact you yeah, again? They Who have are no you? way of contacting him. I guess he just... Maybe he just really believes in his Star-Lord name. Like, if they just go out into the galaxy and say, Hey, we're looking for Eris Bach. People are like, Eris Bach? I know Eris Bach. There's this movie where uh, this chick's boyfriend dies and she goes around with his ashes and finds out that apparently he knows every person on Earth because she goes around saying his name and everybody's like, Primo? 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 Oh, I feel like God. that's here. Like, okay, cool. Just gonna go around. Just, yeah, just right. Gonna... But yeah, so uh, after that, they, they part leaves. The part leaves. The part leaves. Part leaves. <laughs> the part. <laughs> All right. I can't talk anymore. The wind that moves the barley. Well, let's get you to bed. I, I've been talking for three and a half hours. My voice is dying. <laughs> they part ways, and the the episode ends. The cute so little that... close up of Flash Gordon. Yeah, we had to be like, remember, we got Flash Gordon in this episode. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, let's talk about deaths. Nobody. Yeah. Uh. 
I see the knot in your yarn. <laughs> yeah, I'm pissed. <laughs> so nobody died. Nobody nobody died. Uh, Tilk faked his death, but not long enough to have a uh, official death. Yeah, they, they, so... they didn't do a, a chewy moment. Yeah. Um, are you a Jack or are you a Daniel? I have been dreading this question. I, mm. I, I, mm. They both... Mel, I think I'm going to officially They're call this a tile. wildly a tile. sassy. A tile. I'm calling it a tile. A tie? A tie. I am calling it a draw. I am... No, you got to pick no, one. No, I don't. you got to pick one. I... Okay, can I give you my opinion on you? And maybe you can give me uh, your opinion on me. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do this. I think you are a jack for this. Uh, for a lot of the actions he did at the beginning of this episode, like the... Um, like the firing into the at the shield and like just like the a lot of like the physical reactions to things you were like yeah I would have done that too or like I would have gone even right further yeah like the gone kind of even shit. further thing well that was some of that was like Daniel esque like found it and then going to kick it because I was bad tempered yeah but Daniel didn't kick it he just right, I was, saying, like, that, that found was, it. I was going that off of Daniel's though with yeah. the found it so I because I think yeah. I don't I, I I don't I know it's hindsight bias being what it is but the thing is I don't. I'm always annoyed with how he treats shields, and his constant surprise at them drives me a little crazy. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like... For some reason, that's the only one I can think of, but I know there were, like, one or two other instances where Jack, like, did an action where, like, yeah, I would have done that. <laughs> well, the thing is, I think you're Daniel because of all the reasons. <laughs> <laughs> because of all the, all the usual ones. Yeah, um, but I'm also just gonna... I think I'm actually gonna go with Daniel myself, too. Mostly because... Right. Um, just because of the stuff that I, I do... I love so much of Jack's dialogue, but... No, because I am also really impulsive, and even though I don't like how he does a shield thing, I might think uh, act before thinking, and some of that stuff too. So, for funsies, I'm actually gonna immediately change my mind to go back to Jack. Okay, after I've typed it. Yep, just to screw with you. And I, yeah. I yeah, I think Daniel works better for me because again, like we said, they were competing for who was the yeah, sassiest it, in this episode. It, if, if one wins for me, it's it's not like that much. But like Jack's type of sarcasm is not quite the way I go. Daniel's type of sarcasm is more along the lines of what I'll go. Yeah, so that's the thing. Now you're trying to get back to Daniel here because, like, his reaction to his <laughs> price makes me... Fuck it. I'm just gonna stick with Jack because I want to. Also, I would be weirdly competitive about being more expensive than my friends. Yeah, stop. You're making it harder. <laughs> I'm, but I'm doing it for myself and I would absolutely... You know how competitive I am as a person. Yeah, oh, I... Yes, I've never noticed this about you. <laughs> no. It's not like I have a pinky finger that won't straighten out on its own all the way uh, because I jammed it in high school playing basketball, a thing I don't care about. Right. But yeah, I'm going to go Jack. Alright. And Joaquin Phoenix for Thumbs this episode. up! I love this episode, man. Flash Gordon was a welcome addition. Robert C. Cooper God, I, has not mm, even... I love him. Robert C. Cooper hasn't even gotten a meh from us. It's gonna be some time before that happens, I think. I feel like... I don't think it's gonna take until we get to SGA, but it's gonna be closer to that era. It's... it's He's so good. He really is. Honestly, Mel, the more I watch this show, and the more I look forward to SGU, but the less I look forward to SGA. I, I, nothing against SGA. I just, it's so lighthearted. And I honestly just always forget how different of a tone it had. 
Yeah. Their villain wasn't as good as the Goa Old, and it just didn't really hit the same way. I mean, I haven't watched any of SGA, but from what I've heard sideways of the Wraith, I like them. I, they're, they're not bad. Don't get me wrong. They are terrifying, too. It's not that the Wraith aren't effective. It's just, I don't know. The tone just didn't quite get there. I mean, honestly, I think Michael was their best antagonist. Yeah, Michael's honestly the one I'm looking for. Yeah, Michael was their best antagonist. And I think he was the closest they actually got to having a villain that really gave that same kind of pervasive tone to the show that the Mm -hmm. Gold had given it, which I think SGA uh, SG one really benefited from. I think that might be one of the things that sunk SGA. I don't have like a solid understanding of the Wraith, but that might be because Michael had like an actual personality and like a face. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because most of the so the foot the foot soldiers of the wraith have those mask things. Yeah, and then uh, higher ups have faces. He's great. There's a uh, there's a few wraith that are um, awesome. I love Christopher Hyredale's, uh Todd. He 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 plays uh-huh. a couple characters in the show because he's amazing. But he plays Todd, and Todd's great. And then there's Michael, obviously. And then there's one other one. He's not in there for nearly as long. He was just kind of funny. But yeah. Well, we'll get there eventually. Yeah. But yeah, the wraith aren't bad. It's just I think the show kind of suffered from not having quite the same feel. That really mm-hmm. powered it forward, like SG One did. We, we've said this before. Um, Stargate SG One seemed to get a really good feel for balancing camp with serious drama. SGA was a lot of whereas fun. whereas SGA seemed to rely a little too much on camp. Yeah, they relied a little too much on camp and a little too much on on fun. I think. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, which I think honestly was. Their aim, yeah. They, they not for lack of trying to go the opposite way. Like they, they. I mean, they desperately tried to save the show. Apparently, the first time they thought it might be ending, like you know, be, get canceled, they uh decided to kill off a major character to you know really emphasize stuff. Yeah. Um, and it kind of worked. <laughs> <laughs> and they 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 tried to do the darker tone stuff. Like they tried with Ronan's character. They tried, but they just I don't know. They just never really quite captured it. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. And then, like, SGU, they went all dark. Which, I, I know why fans, I, I know why their fans were against it. I think they're wrong. I literally just think you're I'm wrong looking if forward you don't like it. SGU. And if you don't like SGU for its dark tones, and you think that it's not Stargate, I disagree with you wholeheartedly. Well, I think it suffers from the fact that it followed SGA. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was just, it was such a massive difference in yeah. tone. If it had followed SG one, yeah, way different. Yeah. Then I think, like, if 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 so- if somehow, like, uh, not taking into consideration the plots or any of that stuff, but just like the tone of the episodes, if SGU had followed SG one and then SGA had followed SGU, SGA would have probably suffered the same way SGU did. Yeah. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have made it nearly as long. Or or people would have flocked to it to, to have Stargate when they didn't want to have. Like, I could see them maybe running alongside each other. In that weird parallel universe, but like uh-huh. where you'd have the high, some some diehard fans are on SGU for yeah. that, and then some would go to SGA for the lighter stuff when they when it can't yeah, stomach yeah. it, you know, like a calmer version well, of Game of Thrones or something. Many times, I'm super looking forward to SGU when they eventually get yeah, there. Yeah, so. the, the only criticism I have about that show is that it was only two seasons. <laughs> it's a it's go. a hardcore criticism because I feel like. Of all the miracles that could have happened, should have happened. I, don't, I just, I'm just so fucking mad at MGM. Oh my god, am I mad at MGM? I'm, I'm mad at fans that helped kill it. I'm mad at. I mean, I'm, I'm calling, I'm calling out to those assholes who were giving death threats to Elena Huffman, Ugh. and like she had did an interview and she was like, "I'm just trying to feed my kids." It's like you shouldn't have to explain yourself to anyone ever in this situation. Like, what? Like, what? this. <laughs> Who the fuck sends a death threat? Fandoms are the worst. But then, 
the fact that you are so, so, mis just so against a, a show, like, then just don't watch it. Yeah. Like, I honestly checked out of SGA a lot and had to check back into it when I was younger. Like, I just didn't watch it. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I just, I hate that fans worked to kill it, helped to kill it, yeah. instead of appreciating it Which for what it was, you know? Not watching it probably would have gotten it canceled, too, but I feel like, now that, now yeah. that I say it, not watching it probably would have also contributed to, to it being canceled. I just, I don't know. <laughs> I just, it did not get nearly the appreciation it deserved. It's only for the actors in it. We'll get there eventually. Someday. And then I will cry like a little bitch when it ends. Not if I die before that because I'm tired. So, so uh, that's it for this week. Next week, we are going to watch Season 3, Episode 8, Demons. Demons is not a bad episode, if I'm remembering it right. I've said this before and then watched it and been, 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 been wrong. Been well, we'll see. If I remember it right, I think it's good. Huh? If, I, if I'm remembering it right, I think it's good. So, so, if you want to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at It's Mel Not Liss or our podcast Twitter at Point of Origin PC. You can also email us at pointoforigincast at gmail.com or write something on the side of a tissue box and toss it to the nearest wormhole. You can find links to things we talked about during the show in the show notes. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you for joining us on our incursion through the iris, and until next time. Bye!